May I present before you Dr. Zakir Naik. ഹലോറമാനീ and my dear brothers and sisters i welcome all of you with the islamic greetings assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh may peace mercy and blessings of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of almighty god be on all of you the topic of this evening's talk is al quran should it be read with understanding The glorious Quran is the last and final revelation of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala of Almighty God which was revealed to the last and final messenger Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. The glorious Quran is the most positive book in the world. It is a proclamation to humanity. It is a fountain of mercy and wisdom. It is a guide to the erring. it is a warning to the heedless and assurance to those in doubt it's a solace to the suffering and it is a hope to those in despair how is it possible to derive all these benefits of the quran without reading the quran without understanding the quran without pondering over the meaning of the quran and without implementing the quran in your life alhamdulillah <clears throat> the glorious quran is the most widely read book in the world but unfortunately it is also the book which is most widely read without understanding because the majority of the muslims read the quran with an without understanding that's the reason the contact the benefit that the muslims derive from the quran it has decreased the touch of the muslims with the quran has declined imagine if a person comes to the quran and he goes away empty handed hearts untouched soul unmoved and the life unchanged what a tragic misfortune it is 
Allah says in the Quran in Surah Al Imran, chapter number three, verse number 110. Kuntum khaira ummatin ukhridat linnas. O ye Muslims, ye are the best of people's reward for mankind. Ta'amuruna bil marufi watanhuna il munkar. Vitu'minuna billah. Because we enjoin what is good and we forbid what is wrong and we believe in Allah. Allah is calling us the Muslims, the khaira ummah. The best of people evolve for humankind. And the reason he's giving us is because we enjoy what is good and we forbid what is wrong and we believe in Allah. If we Muslims read the Quran with an understanding, how can we enjoy what is good and forbid what is wrong? And if we do not enjoy what is good and if we do not forbid what is wrong, we aren't fit to be called as Muslims. We aren't fit to be called as Khaira Ummah. So if we want to be called as Khaira Ummah, if we want to be Muslims, we have to read the Quran with understanding so that we can enjoy what is good and forbid what is wrong. The Arabic word Quran is derived from the Arabic word Qara, which means book. It's also derived from the Arabic word Ikra, which means to read, which means to recite, which means to proclaim. How can we proclaim the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without understanding the message. And another title given to Quran is Furqan. That is the criteria to judge right from wrong. We can only judge between right and wrong if we understand the message of the Quran. Without understanding the message of the Quran, it's not possible that we can use the Qur'an as the Furqan, as the criteria to judge between right and wrong. Let's analyze today the various excuses given by us Muslims for not reading the Qur'an with understanding. The most common excuse is we do not know Arabic as a language. Today, the world population is approximately 6 billion and about 20 to 25% of the world population are Muslim. About 1.3 to 1.5 billion Muslims are there in the world. And out of the Muslim population, approximately 15% are Arabs. And there are very few Arabs, there are very few non-Arabs who understand Arabic as language. So amongst the Muslim population, more than 80% of the Muslims, they don't understand as Arabic as a language. So the most common excuse that we Muslims have to read the Quran with understanding is we do not know Arabic as a language. When a human being is born, he does not know any language. The child, he initially learns the mother tongue so that he can converse with the family members. Later on, he may learn the language of the society so that he could communicate with the people around him. He may learn the language in which he is educated. Almost all the human beings, they at least know two or three different languages. Some know three to five languages. Some are linguists. But 
most of the human beings, almost all, they at least know two to three different languages. <clears throat> Isn't it a requirement that we should know the language in which our Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed His last and final message, the glorious Quran? Isn't it a must that we Muslims should learn Arabic as a language to understand the Quran? I know that it is much easier for a person to learn a language during childhood. But age is never a barrier to prevent any human being from doing any good work. And that reminds me of the example of Dr. Morris Bukail. Many of you may be aware that Dr. Morris Bukail was a very famous surgeon and scientist who was given the French Academy Award in Medicine. And Dr. Morris Bukail, he was selected for doing research on the mummy of Manapta, that is, the mummy of the body of Pharaoh, who was there at the time of Moses, peace be upon him, which is mentioned in the Bible. And after he did research on this mummy of Manapta, which was found in the Valley of Kings, he being a Christian, he was aware of the background mention of Moses, peace be upon him, in the Bible. That the Pharaoh at the time of Moses, peace be upon him, when he followed Moses, peace be upon him, when he parted the sea, and when he followed him, the sea again came back to normal, and the Pharaoh had drowned. But when he went to Saudi Arabia, there he learned that the Muslims told him, that the Quran already mentions in Surah Yunus, chapter number 10, verse number 92, that Allah says, We shall save the body of the Pharaoh as a sign for posterity. Dr. Prophet Keith Moore, he was shocked that how does this book, the glorious Quran, 1400 years back, says that Almighty God will save the body of Pharaoh as a sign for posterity, as a sign for humankind. And this is not mentioned in the Bible. So that instigated him to read the translation of the Quran. And after he read the translation of the Quran, he was so much inspired that he wanted to understand the Quran better. So at the age of 50, he learned Arabic as a language to understand the Quran better. Imagine a non-Muslim. A Christian, to understand the Quran better, he learns Arabic as a language. And after he does research, after he does research, he says that the scientific points mentioned in the Quran are in perfect conformity with what modern science has discovered. And unfortunately, there are many things in the Bible which do not conform with modern science. And after doing further research, he writes a book, The Bible, the Quran and Science, which became very famous. The point to be noted here is, imagine a person of the age of 50, being a non-Muslim, being a Christian, 
to understand the Quran better, he learns Arabic as a language. So we Muslims, the best excuse we have is that we don't know Arabic as a language. I do not expect every Muslim to be as enthusiastic as Dr. Morris Bukhail that they'd like to learn Arabic at the age of 50. But even if a Muslim does not know Arabic as a language, yet he has got no excuse because he can yet read the translation of the Quran. And Alhamdulillah, the Quran has been translated into most of the major languages of the world. Maulana Abdul Majid Daryabadi says, the Quran is the most untranslatable book in the world. The language of the Quran is so pure. It is divine. It is noble. It is unsurpassable. It is intelligible. And that is the reason it makes Quran the most difficult book to translate. Not only does it make it the most difficult book to translate, in fact, it is a book which is impossible to translate. Yet, Alhamdulillah, there are many scholars who have spent several years, who have spent decades in doing research and have translated the glorious Quran into most of the major languages of the world. Even though I agree that no translation is 100% perfect because a translation is a human handiwork. And the Arabic Quran is the word of Almighty God, the Creator. But in spite of that, these translations, at least they let us understand the basic message of the Quran, the basic message of our Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We must give excuses for not reading the translation of the Quran, saying we are very busy. We are very busy in our studies, we are busy in our profession, we are busy in our business. Most of us, we have spent decades reading and memorizing volumes of books in schools, in colleges, as well as universities, just to acquire a degree. Don't we have the time to read the message of our Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How much time does it take to read the Quran? Our beloved Prophet Muhammad said, this is a hadith intermedi, where he said, that anyone who reads the Quran in less than three days, he has not understood the Quran. That means if we read the Quran with, constant, with concentration, it will minimum take a person three days, minimum. If we read a bit slowly, it may take 
three days. If you read one juz, one part a day, it will take you one month to read the Quran. The degree that we acquire in the colleges and universities, it may or may not help you in this world. There are hundreds and thousands of graduates and postgraduates that I know that are jobless. And the education you acquire in school, colleges and universities, if it does not get you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if it does not get you closer to your Creator, Almighty God, then this education is useless for the hereafter. So the education that you get in the colleges, in the schools, in universities, may or may not help you in this world. And if it does not get you closer to your Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is useless in the hereafter. But as far as the Quran is concerned, Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Baqarah, chapter number 2, verse number 1 and 2, Alif Lam Mim, Zalik al Kitab al Araibufi, Hudal al Mutakim. Alif Lam Mim, this is a book without doubt. This is a book of guidance without doubt for those who have taqwa, for those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That means Allah is giving the promise that this book is a book of guidance. And it will surely benefit you in this world as well as hereafter. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Kahaf, chapter number 18, verse number 54, that this is a book in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made things clear. And this is a book which is mentioned in detail. Many similitudes in which is benefit for humankind. But men is in most things contentious. Allah repeats a similar message in Surah Az-Zumur, chapter number 39, verse number 27. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in detail many similitudes so that men may receive admonition. If you read the Quran, it will surely benefit you in this world as well as hereafter. You read the Qur'an, if you don't know Arabic, read the Qur'an in the language you understand. If you understand English, read it in English. The language you understand the best. If you understand Urdu, read it in Urdu. If you understand Hindi, read it in Hindi. If you understand French, read it in French. If you understand German, read it in German. Read it in the language you understand, irrespective of whether you read the English translation, the Urdu translation, the Hindi translation, the French translation, or German translation, at least read the translation of the glorious Quran so that you can understand the message of your Creator. I'll let you give an example. Suppose a very close friend of yours, who's a German, he comes from Germany and he spends a couple of weeks a couple of weeks with you in Bombay. He being a German, he can't speak English fluently, but he can converse with you. He spends a couple of weeks in Bombay, and when he goes back to Germany, 
he writes to you a letter in German because he can't speak English fluently, he can't write English fluently, so he writes to you a letter in German. Now when you get that letter in German, you don't understand German. What will you do? But naturally, because he's a close friend, you will have that letter translated. You'll want to know what did your good friend tell you from Germany. You will have that letter translated. Don't you want to know what is the message, the last and final message given by a creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't have to go and translate the Quran. The Quran, alhamdulillah, has already been translated in the major languages of the world. Many Muslims, they think that the Quran was only revealed for the Muslims. And the Quran is not meant for the non-Muslims. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Ibrahim, chapter number 14, verse number 1, Alif Lam Ra. This is a book which Allah has revealed so that thou may guide us, the humankind from the depth of darkness to light. Allah is telling that this book, the Quran, was revealed to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, so that he could guide the humankind from the depth of darkness to light. Allah says in the Quran in Surah Ibrahim, chapter number 14, verse number 52, that here is a message for mankind. Let them take warning therefrom. Let them know there is one God. Let the men of understanding take heed. Quran says in Surah Baqarah, chapter number 2, verse number 185, Ramadan is the month in which the Quran was revealed. As a guide for humankind, as a criteria to judge right from wrong. The Quran is a book which was revealed in the month of Ramadan as a guide for the whole of humankind, not only for the Muslims or for the Arabs, but for the whole of humankind. As a criteria to judge right from wrong. Allah says in Surah Az-Zumur, chapter number 39, verse number 41, We have revealed the message to thee. Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, so that thou may instruct the humankind. The Quran does not say that the Quran was revealed to Prophet Muhammad so that he may instruct only the Muslims or the Arabs, so that he may instruct the whole of humankind. Yet, there are many Muslims who do not want to share the Quran with the non-Muslims, thinking what will these non-Muslims understand the Quran? These non-Muslims, these mushriks, these kafir, what will they understand the Quran? Thinking that they are very superior. Do you know this Quran was revealed 1400 years ago? At a time it was revealed in Arabia, at a time which was known as Yomil Jahiliya, the days of ignorance. At that time, before the Quran was revealed, the Arabs were known as the most ignorant people of the world. And imagine this Quran has changed the lives of these Arabs and made them the torchbearers of the world. So when the Quran could change those people 1400 years ago, why can't the Quran change the non-Muslims of this time? These are not the days of ignorance. 
history tells us that was known as Yom al-Jahiliyyah, the days of ignorance. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Anbiya, chapter number 21, verse number 107, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا Rahmatul al that we have sent thee not but as a mercy to the whole of humankind, as a mercy to all the creatures, as a mercy to all the worlds. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was not sent only for the Muslims or the Arabs. The last and final messenger was sent for the whole of humankind. The Quran says in Surah Fatir, chapter number 35, verse number 28, verse number 24, we have sent thee not but as a universal messenger, giving glad tidings and warning them against sin. But most of the human beings yet do not know. Most of the human beings yet do not know. So Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was not sent only for the Muslims or the Arabs, he was sent for the whole of humankind. We Muslims, we unfortunately want to sit on the Quran like a cobra. Neither do we read it, neither do we want the others to read it. And many of the Muslims, they quote the Quran, saying that Quran cannot be given to the non-Muslim because Allah says in the Quran, and they quote Surah Waqiyah, chapter number 56, verse number 77 to 80, where it says, that this is the Qur'an which is revealed from the rod of the world and this is the Qur'an which is kept in a tablet well preserved who none shall touch except those who are pure it is from the Lord of the worlds and many, many Muslims say that see the Qur'an says none shall touch the Qur'an except those who are pure and the non-Muslims, they are Najis, they are Napaq, they are unclean. That's the reason these non-Muslims, they cannot touch the Qur'an. If we read the nuzul quran why, was, why were these verses revealed? We come to know that the Mushriks and the Kuffars of Makkah, they laid allegation that this Qur'an knows Billah are the words of the Satan, the words of Shaitan. So the Allah reveals this, that none can touch. The Arabic word used is Kitabum Maknoon. That means a book well preserved. Kitabum Maknoon. This Kitabum Maknoon does not refer to this glorious Quran. This book, Quran, in Arabic is called as a Mus'haf. What the Quran is referring to, if we cross-reference, of Surah Buruj, chapter number 85, verse number 21-22, which says that Allah has kept the Quran in a tablet well preserved, in Lohim Hafuz. So this Quran, which is being referred, is referred to the Lohim Hafuz. 
the tablet well preserved, the book well preserved. It's not talking about this Quran. Because if it was this Quran, and if the Arabic word used mutahari, that it means that only body cleanliness, then any non-Muslim can easily go to the marketplace and buy a copy of the Quran for 150 rupees, for 200 rupees, for 4 dollars, for 5 dollars. And the Quran will be proved wrong. The mutaharin word used does not refer only to body cleanliness. It refers to a person who is pure in heart, in mind, in soul, person who is sinless, referring to the angel, that none will be able to touch the Quran in the tablet well preserved, Lohe Mehfuz, except the angels. Trying to give a reply to the allegation of the mushriks of Makkah, that this Quran was not the words of the Satan. So this verse of the Quran does not indicate that a person should be pure in body. If he is, it's good, it is alhamdulillah, but it's not a must. And furthermore, even if it was a requirement, imagine, even if it was a requirement, if a person's shirk can be removed from his life, even if you consider this as a small mistake to touch the Quran without wudu, yet removing the shirk, which is the biggest sin in Islam, to do a small mistake, to remove the biggest sin in Islam, it is yet a very good bargain. But the scholars of Tafsir, they say, this verse does not refer and does not indicate that a person should be in wudu to touch the Quran. But being in wudu is good, it is mustab, alhamdulillah, but not a must. There are many people, many Muslims who tell me, okay, Brother Zakir, give the Quran to the non-Muslim, but only give the English translation. Don't give the Arabic text. Or give the Hindi translation, the Urdu translation. I've got no problem if someone only gives the translation of the Quran, but I personally prefer giving the Arabic text along with the translation. Why? Because the translation is the work of a human being. And no human being is perfect. As I mentioned earlier, that no translation is perfect. And if there is a mistake in the translation, it will not be attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if we check it up with the Arabic text, besides the translation, we can easily verify that if there is a mistake in the translation, it is the work of the human being and not of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I personally prefer giving along with the translation the Arabic text, so that if there is a mistake, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will not be responsible, it is the responsibility of the translator. And furthermore, if Allah holds me responsible, I will be in good company. I will be in the company of the beloved Prophet Muhammad Why? Because if you read the seerah of the Prophet Muhammad he wrote letters to non-Muslim kings in which he dictated verses of the Qur'an.
He told the Sahabas, he dictated letters to non-Muslim kings, in which he dictated verses of the Quran. He sent letters to Nicholas of Abyssinia, to Emperor Heracles, Emperor of Persia, King of Yemen, King of Egypt. Many of these kings, Alhamdulillah, they accepted Islam. But some of them, they even tore the letter. Some of them even trampled it beneath their feet. Imagine, the verses of the Quran, dictated by the Prophet. They were torn by these kings, and some of them even trampled it beneath their feet. And one such letter is available in the Koptaki Museum in Turkey, in which the Prophet had dictated the verse of the Quran of Surah Al-Imran, chapter number 3, verse number 64, which says, Kul, ya hilal kitab, say, O people of the book, Ta'alo ila kalimatin sawa imbayana baynakum. Come to common terms as in us and you. Which is the first term? Allah na'buda illallah. That we worship none but Allah. Wala nushika bihi shayyam. That we associate no partners with him. Wala yattakhira baaduna baadan arbaban mundunillah. That we erect not among ourselves. Lords and patrons other than Allah. Fain tawallo. If then they turn back. Fakulu shadu. Say bear witness. They are not Muslimun. That we are Muslims bowing our will to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This verse of the Quran was dictated to the non-Muslim kings by the beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's yet available in the museum, the Koptaki Museum in Turkey. And I want to ask you the question. Today, there are about 14 million Arabs who are Coptic Christians. Who are Christians since generations. I'm asking the question, which translation of the Quran will you give to these 14 million Coptic Arab Christians? Do you want to translate the Arabic Quran into Arabic again? You'll have to give the original text. To these Christian Arabs, who understand Arabic as a language, Arabic is a mother tongue, which translation will you give? Will you give the Urdu translation? Will you give the English translation? You have to give the original kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Arabic. That is the reason I personally prefer, along with the translation, give the original Arabic text. And the Quran was revealed for the whole of humankind, and the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was sent as a messenger to the whole of humankind. There are many Muslims who say that the Quran is meant to be read with understanding only by the alims, only by the scholars. A layman Muslim should not try to understand the Quran. The Quran is meant to be read with understanding only by the alims, only by the scholars. I started my talk by quoting a verse of the Qur'an, which is also recited by the Qari in the beginning of the program, which occurs in Surah Qamar, chapter number 54, no less than four times. Surah Qamar, chapter 54, verse number 17, verse number 22, verse number 32, and verse number 40. وَلَّقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلْذِكْرِ فَهَلْ مِمُدَّقِرِ We have made the Qur'an 
easy for you to understand and memorize, then which of you shall not receive admonition? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our creator, says that we have made the Quran easy for you to understand, then which of you shall not receive admonition? Allah says in the Quran, in several places, in several verses, including Surah Baqarah, chapter number 2, verse number 242, that, so that they will understand. Allah says in Surah Hijr, chapter number 15, verse number 1, Alif Lam Ra. Tilka ayatul kitab. Wal Quran al Mubin. That Alif Lam Ra. These are the verses of the Quran that make things clear to you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that this Quran, we have made it easy for you to understand. Allah says, so that they understand. Allah says, we have revealed the verse of the Quran so that it will make things clear to you. So who will you obey? Who will you follow? Those Muslims who say that the Quran was only meant for the scholars to understand it, or should we follow the guidance of the Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that it was made easy for the human beings to understand. Allah at the same time, if you read the Quran, and if you don't understand certain things, Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Nahal, chapter number 16, verse 43, and Surah Ambiya, chapter number 21, verse number 7, Allah says, Allah says that if you do not know, ask the person who possesses the message. Ask the person who possesses the knowledge. That if you do not know anything, if you do not possess the message, ask the person who is knowledgeable. For example, if the Quran speaks about science, who will go and ask? Will you ask the cobbler? Will you ask the barber? You will ask a scientist. Because a scientist is an expert in the field of science. A scientist is an alim in the field of science. Similarly, if the Quran speaks about medicine, who will you ask? But naturally, ask a doctor. Because a doctor is an alim, he's an expert in the field of medicine. Similarly, if you want to know something about Nuzul Quran, who will you ask? You'll ask an alim who has gone to Dalar Ulum, maybe for seven years, for ten years, a person who's expert about the Nuzul Quran. So, depending upon what field you want to know, you have to ask an expert in that field. But while reading the Quran, if you have certain problems, you can surely very well ask a person who's an expert in that field. And that reminds me of the example of Prophet Keith Moore. There were a group of Arabs who followed the advice given in the Quran in Surah Nahal chapter 16 verse 43 and Surah Ambiya chapter number 21 verse number 7 which says Fas'alu ahal zikri in kuntum la ta'lamun If you don't know, ask the person who possesses the knowledge. So these group of Arabs, they collected 
all the material in the Quran and the Hadith which speaks about embryology and they presented it to Professor Dr. Keith Moore who at that time in the early 80s, 1980s, he was one of the person who was the authority in the field of embryology and he was the head of the Department of Anatomy in the University of Toronto. So they presented the translation of the various verses of the Quran to Prophet Keith Moore and they asked him that what are your comments? So after going through the translation of the various verses of the Quran and the Hadith he said that most of the information given in the Quran is in perfect conformity with modern embryology but there are a few verses which I cannot say that they are correct neither can I say they are wrong because I myself do not know about it and two such verses were the first two verses of the Quran to be revealed from Surah Ikra, Surah Alaq, chapter number 96 verse number 1 and 2 which says Ikra bismi rabbika allazi khalaq khalaqal insana min alaq read, recite and proclaim in the name of thy Lord who created who created the human beings from something which clings a leech like substance the Arabic word alaq means something which clings it even means a congealed clot of blood it also means a leech like substance so Professor Keith Moore said I do not know whether the embryo in the initial stages looks like a leech or not so he went in his laboratory and under a very powerful microscope he observed the early stages of the embryo and compared it with a photograph of a leech and he was astonished at the striking resemblance and later on when about 80 questions were asked to him he said at that time in the early 1980s that if you would have asked these questions to me 30 years ago I would not be able to answer more than 50% because embryology is a new branch of medicine which has developed and he is the author of a very famous book and whatever additional material he acquired from the Quran Hadith he incorporated it in his third edition the developing human being and he got an award for the best medical book written by a single author in that year and when I was in a medical college in the 1980s in the first year of medicine in the subject of embryology if we wanted to score high marks we used to refer to the developing human being the book written by Professor Dr. Keith Moore if we wanted just passing marks we used to refer to the book written by Dr. Inderbir Singh you know just pass if you want to score high marks then we used to read the book developing human being by Professor Keith Moore and this book later on was translated into several languages of the world and Professor Keith Moore said I have got no objection in agreeing that this Quran it has to be the word of the Creator Almighty God and Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him he has to be the messenger of this God Almighty whenever we purchase an equipment 
along with the equipment, we get an instruction manual. For example, when we purchase a DVD player, we get an instruction manual, which tells us how the DVD player should be operated. If you want to play the DVD, put the disc and press the play button. If you want to skip, press the skip button. If you want to stop, press the stop button. Don't drop it from a height, it will get damaged. Don't immerse it in water, it will get spoiled. All these details are given in, given in the instruction manual. Whenever you buy an equipment, it has an instruction manual. And more complicated the machine, the more requirement of the instruction manual. If you allow me to call the human beings a machine, I would say it is the most complicated machine on the face of this earth. Don't you think it requires an instruction manual? The instruction manual for the human beings, it is the glorious Quran. The glorious Quran is the last and final instruction manual for the human being. How a human being should lead his or her life is given in the Quran. Imagine if you buy an equipment and if it is in the language you don't understand. And we know today Japan is very advanced. Most of the electronic equipments, they come from Japan. But when we get the instruction manual, we get it in the language we understand. There may be a Japanese instruction manual, but along with it is the English translation. If you buy in India, you also get the Hindi translation. So when you want to understand the equipment, whether it's a DVD player, whether it's a washing machine, you read the instruction manual in the language you understand. Don't you want to read the instruction manual of the human being? What has our Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what has He mentioned in the last and final instruction manual of the human being, the glorious Quran? We don't have to get it translated, it's already available. Previously, when automobiles were, in, were introduced, the first time in India, people did not know how to drive. So whenever you purchased a car, the company, along with the car, the company also gave you a driver. Once a Nawab, a famous Nawab, a very rich man, he buys a car. So along with the car, the company also provides the driver. One day in the morning, the Nawab Sahib, the rich multimillionaire, he tells his driver, I want to take my Begum Saiba. I want to take my wife for shopping. Please get the car ready. The driver replies, Nawab Sahib, the car is not in working condition. Nawab Sahib is very angry. Put the car back in working condition immediately. So the driver says, to put the car back in working condition, I require 10 liters of milk. 20 kgs of pure honey, 30 kgs of pure ghee, and 40 kgs of rice, that also basmati rice. So Nawab Sahib, 
the rich multimillionaire, he gives the driver 10 liters of milk, 20 kgs of pure honey, 30 kgs of pure ghee, and 40 kgs of rice, that also basmati rice, top quality. The driver gives it to his wife, and within a few minutes the car is in working condition. I am asking you a question. Today if your driver tells you that to put the car in working condition, he requires 10 liters of milk, 20 kgs of pure honey, 30 kgs of pure ghee, and 40 kgs of basmati rice, what will you do? What will you do? Will you give it to him? What will you do? You will kick him out of the job. Even though you are not a mechanic, you know how to drive the car. You know very well that a car runs on gas and petrol. It does not run on milk, ghee, rice. You know very well. Even though you are not a mechanic, you know the basics, how a car functions. Similarly today, if you know the basic message of our Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you know what our Creator Almighty God has mentioned in His last and final instruction manual of the Quran, no one will take you for a ride. You will understand your deen much easier. No one will make a fool out of you. There are some people who tell me, the brother Zakir, see, suppose if you are driving a car, and if you have a temporary license, temporary license is a kacha license in India, temporary license, and if you have an accident, you know, the police will give you a small fine. If you have a permanent license, and if you have an accident, the police will give you a bigger fine. Therefore, if you don't read the Quran, and if you don't understand the Quran, and if you make any sin, God will punish you less. If you understand the Quran, and then if you commit a sin, then God will give you double punishment. You know, very good logic. So that's why I don't understand the Quran. You know, behave like a person who have a temporary license and enjoy life. You know, less punishment. So I, tell, I told this brother, for sake of argument, I agree with you. That a person who has a temporary license, a person who has a kacha license, if he has an accident, maybe the police will fine him with a thousand rupees or a thousand dollars. And if a person who has a permanent license, if he has an accident, maybe the police will fine him double, two thousand rupees or two thousand dollars. Okay, I agree with you. But the point to be noted is that if a person who has a permanent license, in one year, the chances he'll have an accident is maybe one. But a person who has a temporary license, who has not learned driving well, the chances he'll have an accident in one year is maybe 50. So at the end of the year, the person who has permanent license pays a fine of 1,000 rupees or $1,000. And a person who has a temporary license, he pays, pays a fine of $50,000. A person who has a temporary license pays $1,000. A person who has a permanent license pays $2,000. So if he has an accident once a year, at the end of the year, he pays a fine of $2,000. And a person who has a temporary license, maybe he'll have 50 accidents in a year, at the end of the year, he pays a fine of $50,000 or 50,000 rupees.
There are some Muslims who go to the other extreme, who come and exercise and they say, that reading the Quran in Arabic, it is not useful. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Nisa, chapter number 4, verse number 171, Do not commit excesses in your religion. To say that a person does not benefit by reading only Arabic is wrong. There are various verses in the Quran, there are various hadiths which talk about the blessings, the sawab a person gets even for reading Arabic. Allah says in the Quran in Surah An-Kabut, chapter number 29, verse number 45, Utlu that we have revealed the verse of the Quran and recite what we have revealed to you. Utlu ma uya kitab that recite of what we have revealed to you of the Quran. And a beloved Prophet Muhammad said, it's Hadith in Tirmidhi, Hadith number 2910, where the beloved Prophet said, that anyone who recites one letter of the word, word of Allah, the book of Allah, he gets one sawab, one hasna. And that is multiplied tenfold. And Allah is not one letter. Alif is a letter. Lam is a letter. Ha is a letter. So you get ten, ten, ten. Thirty sawab. For example, if you recite Alif, Lam, Meem, you get ten, ten, ten. Thirty sawab. And this is confirmed. There is no doubt about it. But the amount of mistakes we make throughout the day, throughout the life, the amount of sins we commit, are these 10, 10, 10 sawab sufficient to transport you to Jannah? If besides reading in Arabic, if we understand in the language we know what Allah has commanded, and if we implement the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Inshallah, you will get multiple times sawab. And Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Jummah, chapter number 62, verse number 5. The parable of those who were given the obligations of the Mosaic law, talking about the Jews, but they did not fulfill their obligations is the example of a donkey which carries tomes of books, tons of books but they understand it not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He chose the Jews and He delivered the message to them but they did not do the duty they did not follow the instruction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they are like donkeys which carry tons of books but they understand it not. And Allah says, if you do not do your job, if you do not follow the instruction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah says in Surah Muhammad, chapter number 47, verse number 38, Allah says, Yastabdil qawman gairakum, summa laikunam salakum. And if you do not do your job, Allah will substitute in your place another people, summa laikunam salakum, and they will not be like you. We Muslims, we worry, we very often do khatmi Quran, you know, especially in Ramzan. We finish the Quran once, 
twice, five times, ten times, alhamdulillah. But most of us Muslims, even though we don't understand Arabic, we only recite the Arabic Quran. Twice, thrice. I tell them, instead of reciting only in Arabic the Quran twice, and if you don't understand Arabic, recite in Arabic once, and the second time, read it, read the translation in the language you understand the best. If you know English, read the English translation of the Quran. If you know Urdu, read the Urdu translation of the Quran. If you know Hindi, read the Hindi translation of the Quran. If you know German, read the German translation of the Quran. If you know French, read the French translation of the Quran. Read the translation of the Quran in the language you understand the best. It will get you more benefit. So that you can implement on the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our beloved Prophet Muhammad said, it's a hadith mentioned in Ibn Majah, chapter number 16, hadith number 219, narrated by Abu Dhar, may Allah be pleased with him. He said that the Prophet said, that, O oh Abu Dhar, may Allah be pleased with him. It is better that you learn one verse of the Quran rather than pray hundred rakats of salah. The Prophet said, if one verse of the book of Allah, if you learn, if you understand, it is far superior than reading hundred rakat salah. And every rakat salah minimum that you have to recite is Surah Fatiha. Minimum seven verses. So in hundred rakat, minimum verses you will recite is seven hundred verses of the Quran. So according to this hadith, if you learn and understand one verse of the Quran and implement it, it is far superior than reciting 700 verses of the Quran. When we ask the Muslims that why was the Quran revealed? Many of us say it was revealed for Quran Khani. You know, when we have opening ceremony of uh, office shop, so we recite the Quran. When we buy a new house, housewarming ceremony, we recite the Quran. When someone dies, then we recite the Quran. I do not know of any verse in the Quran. No say hadith in which the Prophet or any of the Sahabas, they recited the Quran for the opening ceremony of the house or the shop or when someone died. And they get a group of people and they recite the Quran fast. You know, maybe 30 people, each one reciting one juice. So I tell them that if you really want to do Quran Khani, instead of that, do Quran Fahmi. Do it on this occasion, no problem. Do it once a month. Do it once a week. Do it daily. When you call 30 people, instead of reciting Arabic, one juice, along with Arabic, even read the translation of that juice which you have recited. Instead of 30 people, call 60 people. Read half Jews in Arabic. Half Jews, the translation which you understand the best. Have Quran for me. Understand the Quran. Understand the message. Inshallah, inshallah, it will get you multiple times more sawab. We have Muslims who 
mashallah they give respect to the quran and we should respect the quran there's no doubt about it but many of us we fail to understand the reason why the quran was revealed and as i was saying we have khatme quran quran khani i would like to give an example that there was a person this indian who goes to france to get a bachelor's degree but when he goes to france the language of instruction was french and this indian he did not know french so he used to attend the classes religiously regularly whenever he used to attend he used to get a p p for present full year he attends the classes but the instruction in french he doesn't understand it after one year he appears for the examination the question paper is in french but yet he gets a p p is not for past p is for present but just by being present do you think he will pass in the examination he does not understand a word maybe because he knows english like how many of us we know urdu script so we can recite the quran so he can he can read some of the french without understanding because the script of english and french is the same do you think he'll pass in the examination he gets the p the p is for present it is not for past so that's the reason it's very important that we read the quran with understanding as i was mentioning that we muslims we give respect to the quran alhamdulillah but many of us they go beyond the limit they give so much respect that they forget for what purpose the quran was revealed you know we keep the quran on the topmost shelf alhamdulillah they keep it so much on top that difficult to reach and the quran catches dust you know the quran is a book of guide it's a guide book you know suppose if you are studying the guide book is normally at a shelf which is reachable you know it's kept at a shelf which you can reach the easiest you won't keep it on top where difficult to take a stool to get it down so quran is a book we should be refer every day it should be handy and many of us muslims you know we tie the quran in a pure silk cloth and then we tie a knot on it suppose if you want to read the quran you start thinking okay 5 minutes to open the quran 5 minutes again to tie the quran 10 minutes the thought of you opening the quran and again tying it will be a deterrent and if you have 10 minutes 10 minute abhi kholne mein aur banne mein jayenge if you have 10 minutes time you know to open the quran close 10 minutes so better not read the quran see we have to respect the quran but the main respect is in the heart i'm not against keeping the quran on top don't get me wrong but see to it that it is accessible it's easily available for guidance you know many of us muslims before touching the quran we scrutinize a thousand things as though it's an rdx bomb quran wearing shoes can i touch the quran can i read the quran while standing can i read it in the office all these things they prevent you from reading the quran 
we scrutinize the Quran as though it's an RDX bomb going to explode. The Quran is a book of guidance. Now that is the reason many of us Indians object to, you know, the Arabs, mashallah, the way they, they treat the Quran, they give respect. But as though it's a guide, it's available. We Muslims keep it on top more shelf, you know, in India. It's catching dust. And rarely will we find people when they are five minutes, ten minutes, they refer to the Quran. Because there is, you know, we have to have that frame of mind, and then we have to see ten things, we can't be in shoes, we can't stand, and we have to have a hat over your head, etc., etc. See, many things are good, but don't make life so difficult that the main purpose of the Quran is for guidance and defeat it. And very often if you go to the Gulf countries, you know, many of the Arabs when they come for Salah a few minutes before, you find them taking the Quran and reading. In India, rarely will you find that. And suppose someone is reading in the first row, and someone takes the Quran and reads in the second row, there will be a person who will object. How can you read the Quran in the second row? The back is facing the Quran. Haram. Halas. And if you have to sit in the mosque, and suppose at your home or in the mosque, if by mistake you have, if you happen to read the Quran while facing Qibla, halas, you'll get fatwa, haram. You know, you can't read the Quran with your back facing the Qibla, back facing the Kaaba. I've been to haram several times in Makkah, several times, you know. They have this Talim quran they have the Hibs classes, you know. And, and, they have, and the students sit in rows. Many of the back face the Quran of the other student who's carrying a Quran in the hand. And many a time the teacher is facing the Kaaba and the students back are facing the Kaaba. So where do they get this from? Which verse of the Quran, which hadith, I don't know. So we have to love the Quran, we have to respect, but we have to know that the main reason the Quran was revealed was for hidayah, was for guidance. Once there was an Indian Imam, very good Kari, he went to Saudi Arabia. And because he was famous, it was Maghrib's time, so they told the Kari, they told the Imam, Imam, you, risk, you lead the Salah. So the Indian Imam, he goes and he leads the Salah from Maghrib. He decides and he finishes the Salah. And when he, finishes, when he finishes the Salah, one Saudi smiles at him. So then he asks that, what's the problem? Was there any problem in my Kirat? So the Saudi told him, no, your Kirat was wonderful. I was only wondering that when you recited Surah Yusuf, why did you put Yusuf in the well, but before you complete the Salah, why didn't you get him out of the well? This anecdote would be understood only by those people who read the Quran with understanding. Those who don't read the Quran with understanding will not be able to understand this anecdote. The Saudi was telling him, if you read Surah Yusuf, it speaks about the story of Islam, that how he was betrayed by his brother, and his brothers put him in the well, and later on last Bahana Ta'ala caravan comes, and Yusuf al-Islam has got out of the well. So the Saudi tells him 
that you recited very well. But in your salah, you put Yusuf in the well, but at least before ending the salah, you should have brought him out of the well. That means we start the surah from anywhere, and we end it anywhere without realizing have we completed the meaning or not. We Muslims, we have several excuses for not reading the Quran with understanding. And we always give excuses for not reading. We have the time to read books, volumes, memorize them. But the glorious Quran, which is the last and final revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, unfortunately, we don't take our time to read the message of our Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Muhammad, chapter number 47, verse number 24, Allah says, Afala yadabbaroon al-Quran. Do they not ponder over the Quran? Or are their hearts locked up? Allah is saying, that don't you ponder over the verse of the Quran? Or are your hearts locked up? Allah says in Surah Baqarah, Chapter number 2, verse number 159. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He makes the signs clear, after it has been revealed to you, and made the guidance clear, and if you conceal them, Allah's curse is on you. Allah says, those who conceal the signs after it's made clear to you, and the guidance, after it is given to you, Allah has cursed on such people. Allah says in Surah Furqan, chapter number 25, verse number 30, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, that these are my people who took the Quran for foolish nonsense. Imagine the beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, that these are my people who took the Quran for foolish nonsense. But naturally, the context of the verse, is talking about Munaf, uh, Munafik, Utbah. But unfortunately today, we have Muslims who yet take the Quran for foolish nonsense. No, Allah. The Quran was revealed as the guidance for the whole of humanity. And when we read the Quran, there are two types of reading. One is called as Tazakkure Quran. And the other is Tadabbure Quran. Tadabbure Quran is reading the Quran and understanding the meaning superficially, which can be very well done by reading the translation of the Quran as well as the Arabic. The other is Tadabbure Quran is pondering over the meaning of the Quran, thinking over the meaning of the Quran. This, if you read the translation, it can be done to a certain level, but if you know Arabic as a language, it is the best. Tadabbure Quran can be done much better by knowing Arabic as a language. A person can say that he has done Tadabbure Quran, he has read the Quran, but no one can say that he has finished doing Tadabbure Quran, he has finished pondering over all the verses of the Quran, because the Quran is beautiful. 
It is unlike any other book that you read once it's finished. If it's a very good book, you read twice, thrice, that's it. Quran, even if you read a thousand times, the thousandth and first time you read, you get more guidance. Every verse of the Quran, it has different angles to look at. The words of the Quran are fantastic. That is the reason no human being can say that I have finished pondering over the verses of the Quran. You can do tazakbure Quran, but tazakbure Quran. The more you read, the more you ponder, the more you understand, inshallah, the more will you implement. Every Muslim home should have a copy of the Quran. And if they don't understand Arabic, they should have the translation of the Quran in the language they understand the best. Quran is the best gift you can give to any human being, irrespective whether he's a Muslim or non-Muslim. Irrespective whether the person you're giving the gift to is rich or poor. Whether it's a nikah or whether it's a housewarming ceremony. The best gift you can give, the most invaluable gift is the copy of the glorious Quran. And if the person doesn't understand Arabic, give the translation of the glorious Quran in the language you understand the best. The best gift you can give to your child is the Quran. Many of us Muslims, we send our children to learn how to recite the Quran. Some of them may have the Quran, but very few non-Arabs. They make the children and they educate the children in the language of Arabic so that they can understand the Quran directly, very few. The best gift you can give to the child is the gift of the Quran. Most of us including myself, we were unfortunate that our parents did not think it important that we should learn Arabic as a language when we were children. Don't make that same mistake. See to it that you teach your children Arabic as a language. It is the best gift you can give to your children. It is the best degree you can give. Believe me, all the other degrees of colleges, universities, it may or may not help him in this world. In the Akhirah, if it does not get him closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is useless. But if you give the gift of the Quran, if you give the gift of the language of Arabic, inshallah, because our beloved Prophet Muhammad said, that when a person dies, three things yet get him sawab one is what he has spent in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, the knowledge that is spent in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number three, pious children who pray for him. So the best gift you can give to your children is the gift of the Quran. It is a guide for his full life. And we should make it a habit that we read the Quran daily. Whichever time you feel is the best, let's daily have a family gathering, mother and father along with the children, and recite depending upon the time available, maybe two ruku, three ruku, Arabic along with the translation you understand the best. If every day you read the Quran with understanding, it will change your life. 
and also tell all the Muslim businessmen that make it compulsory for your employees to read the Quran daily. In Islamic Research Foundation, mashallah, we have more than 400 employees in all the organizations, alhamdulillah. It's compulsory every day when they come. The first thing when they swipe the card or they put the thumb, thumbprint, you know the new machines, thumbprint and the attendance ship takes the attendance. Okay, this is so and so. He came to the office at 10 o'clock. The first thing he has to do is read at least for 15 minutes. At least one ruku, two ruku of the Quran along with the translation in the language you understand the best. Some people will think, 15 minutes every day? Six days a week? 12 months in a year? 400 employees? Calculate. Lakhs of rupees gone down the drain every month. Believe me, it will benefit you. When your employees, when they read the Quran, along with the translation, they will work better for you. They will learn honesty. They will come on the straight path. Irrespective of the employee, Muslim or non-Muslim, he will get hidayah. In our organization, all that we have, it's compulsory that you should read the Quran along with translation every day. Compulsory. I request that all the businessmen here, who have got businesses and employees, see to it that you implement it in your business place also. Inshallah, it will benefit you. And there are various different ways. You can read the Quran from first page to last page. See to it, you complete it. At times, you may want to read it via the index. You want to read what does the Quran speak about women? What does the Quran speak about heaven? What does the Quran speak about angels? Topic-wise. Or you open the Quran and read whatever comes. The various. But see to it that you daily read the Quran. And even regularly reading from cover to cover is very important. And since the talk is in English, there are, mashallah, I think more than 50 different English translations of the Quran. More than 50. And in our organization itself, we have more than 50 different languages in which the Quran has been translated. Much more than that, in our organization, we have more than 50 different languages. In the English translation, the one that I recommend best is Abdullah Yusuf Ali. Amongst all the translations I've read, I feel this is the most comprehensive. And he took approximately 40 years to write the translation. And though his English is a bit archaic, it's a biblical, e, the, thou, but it's more closer to Arabic. In normal English, when you say you, it's the same in Arabic. You know, for you, for female is different, for male is different, singular is different, dual is different, plural is different, six types, anta, anti, you know all. In English, one you, whether it's a male, single, or female single, male dual, or female dual, male multiple, or female multiple, all six is the same, you, shortcut. So this archaic English is more closer, but it may be difficult for the modern people to understand. But there are other people who have made it easy. Abdullah Yusuf Ali, overall I feel, 
the commentary that he has given and the footnotes and the index topic wise I recommend for non-Muslim as well as for Muslim this is one of the good English translations available the other one is the Sai International which has been translated a few years back by three American reward sisters and the English is more simple and it is more modern the other translation is the Noble Quran by Dr. Mohsen Khan and Takiyuddin Hilali but this I would not recommend it to be given to non-Muslims Muslims fine because there are too many brackets in the footnotes we have many hadith you know Bukhari Muslim which is good for the Muslims but there are so many brackets that you fail to realize who is saying that Allah or the person who translated it so you give footnotes no problem but if you give too many brackets you fail to realize is this message from the translator or from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's the reason it is good for references Bukhari, Muslim, Sai Hadith but for non-Muslim I personally don't advise you to give that the other third translation the fourth translation which is good is by Maulana Abdul Majid Daryabadi it's good for comparative religion he gives references from the Bible he gives references from the Hindu scriptures it's ever been four volumes the other one is Mamaduk Piktal Mohammed Mamaduk Piktal you're the Britisher even that translation is good but it doesn't have any commentary the other one good is by Muhammad Asad Muhammad Asad this translation is good he quotes very often Zamakshiri and he gives root words of Arabic but you have to be careful because Zamakshiri is a logical tafsir but sometimes it deviates from the Sai Hadith so you have to be careful I normally prefer translations which are directly done from Arabic into that language so English translation translated directly from Arabic to English are the best there are other translations which are translated from Arabic to Urdu and then English like Maulana Maududi Dawatul Quran by Shams Pirzada they are good but the chances of error is more because someone translated from Arabic to Urdu then from Urdu to English and that's what happened with Maulana Maududi translation and the second edition the second translation done by Zafar Ishaq Ansari is far better. So this was just a few translations which I named. There are other by T.B. Irving. T.B. Irving, the translation more of American English. And there are several other translations. Before I end my talk, I'd like to give the message which Allah says in the Quran. In Surah Hashar. Chapter number 59, verse number 21. Allah says, that had this Quran be revealed on the mountain it would have surely fallen down and would have become in utter ruin that means if the Quran would have been revealed on a mountain and if the mountain had feelings the mountain would have tumbled down and would have come down to pieces but to us Muslims it makes no difference why? because we don't understand it Allah says that if the mountain, a mountain is a sign of power or something which is hard like a rock if the Quran would have been revealed on a mountain the mountain would have, would have fallen down to utter ruin but it makes no difference to us Allah says that we Muslims we have to read the Quran with understanding 
And we Muslims, if you see back into the history, we Muslims, we were on top of the world. Today, we Muslims on the receiving end. Why? The reason previously we were on top of the world was because we were close to Quran and Sai Hadith. And today, we are on the receiving end is because we have gone far away from our religious scriptures, far away from Quran and Sunnah. If we get back close to the Quran and Sunnah, inshallah, we Muslims would again become the torchbearers of the world. I would like to end my speech with the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who mentioned in Sahih Bukhari, hadith number 5027 of Bukhari in the old edition, volume number 6, hadith number 545, where Hazrat Usman, may Allah be pleased with him, said that our beloved Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, that best amongst you are those who learn the Quran and teach it to the others. Jazakamullah Khair, Dr. Zakir Naik, for your vital and emphatic speech on reading Al Quran with understanding. Jazakamullah khair, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God Almighty, revive all of you with His blessings for your earnest and attentive listening to the talk. I am certain in measure more, the same would continue in the, inshallah, more interesting question and answer session. Your session, your opportunity to cross-question Dr. Zakir Naik, your opportunity to ask for clarifications on what has been spoken, and any other question you may have on the topic to derive more measure more mileage in the available time that we have you need to follow the following rules kindly note one your question should be on the topic Al-Quran should it be should it be read with understanding only only on the topic if you have general questions Tomorrow, inshallah, we have the open, ask Dr. Zakir, an open, exclusively open question and answer session. Reserve those questions for tomorrow, not for today. Second point, your question should be brief and to the point, preferably framed in one to five sentences. This is question time for you, not a lecture or a thesis discussion time. Please note. Third point. Your question should be only one at a time. For your second question, you need to go back at the queue and line up again and await your chance. We have three mics arranged in this open ground. Two for gents, one close in front of the gents section for the gents. The second question mic for the gents is in the rear section of the gents. We have the third mic in the ladies section in front of the ladies seating for the ladies to put forward their questions on. Non-Muslims would be given first preference to put forward their questions. Volunteers at the mics are requested to kindly ensure that the same is implemented firmly and kindly. Kindly state your name and profession before putting forward your question to Dr. Zakir. May we have the first question on the mic next to me? 
here. If there's any brother who's a non-Muslim, they would be given first preference. Any non-Muslim brother here? No? Okay, we'll allow on the second mic. Any non-Muslim brother there? No? Any sister in the ladies section who's a non-Muslim? We would like no. non-Muslims to be given the, question, the chance, the opportunity to cross-examine Dr. Zakir Naik on this topic. Quran, Al-Quran, whether you read it with Tazakkur-e Quran or with Tadabbur-e Quran, is for the whole of humanity. Therefore, we are choosing to allow non-Muslims to put forward their question. Yes, brother, on the mic number one. Uh, Dr. Jagir. Your name and profession, please, first. Vinod Shah is my name. I am professional by spiritual healer. I am doing aura photography and psychic surgery, surgery without cut. This is a, exactly the spiritual science, when we can say. Medical science is a science of medicine, and the spiritual science is a science of human body. It's a body, mind and soul, what we say as a rule, or a soul, and a science of a God power. Once the person develops the spiritual power by sadhana or whatever the prayer, spiritual prayer or whatever the namaz and whatever we are doing, and if you develop the spiritual ability to heal others, this is the difference between an ordinary human being and a superhuman being, what we say. And the science of this energy is invisible energy. Now there is a two type of things which exist in human being. One is visible physical body and another is a soul body, ruhu. So now science of the ruhu, soul body is 99% and science of the body is 1%. Today what we are practicing is the medical science, is the science of medicine and not the science of human body. And purpose of any religion is to keep human body healthy throughout the life and achieve the final goal of the life. So to understand this science sir, of sir, invisible sir, power, sir, God power. Sir, can we have your question without a background so that just so you can have your background in two three yeah. sentences then your question please if, sir. if we follow the path of religion any religion or quran we can keep ourselves healthy throughout the life if we don't get any disease in the body brother asked the question that he is a spiritual healer and he heals things without cut without using a knife and treats patients etc talking about spirituality, healing of the body, healing of the soul. Basically, brother, as far as spiritual healing is concerned, there is something like true spiritual healing and something which is like a deceit. The world of a difference in that. We do have many spiritual healing in public, done by missionaries, and, and I have attended some of the programs, the Christian missionaries, they get a person and they get him on the stage and the person is lame and he starts walking the person is blind he starts seeing and we find many and I don't know whether you have seen I have seen many documentaries which have tried to expose how they do it how they do it and in our Islamic Research Foundation ours is a research organization on Islam and comparative religion and we and collect materials dealing with such things. There are many documentaries which show that how they do it, how they make a fool of the public, 
For example, they show a person that there's a person lame sitting in the audience. The healer goes and picks up the stick. In the name of Jesus, start running and the person starts running. But the person who starts running is the person who was sitting on the right. The person who was lame was sitting on the left. So what we realize that all these are pre-planned. You know the pre-planned? What I tell them, that really if you are a spiritual healer, you come to the hospital, you know, I'm a medical doctor. And I tell them, come to my hospital, direct, ready-made. If you treat, the full family will convert. So if you are a spiritual healer, and if really it's the truth, we require hundreds of people like you, we don't want to have all these government hospitals, you know, Nair Hospital, Sion Hospital, KM Hospital, we'll employ you. What we have to realize, that is it the truth or not? Yes, there are something like spiritual, like for example the Quran says, that the verses of the Quran can be used for healing. But what if you realize, in Islam, the person to heal is Shafi. It is he who heals. If anyone says, I heal, it is nonsense. It is Almighty God who heals, whether through a doctor, but doing this surgery without knife. Fine, there is laser technology. But surely you aren't using laser technology. Are you using laser technology? It's no. Are you using... Uh, so what I'm trying to say, that the spiritual thing you're talking about, yes. I being a medical doctor, coming from medical background, if it was true, we would have learnt in medical, in medical uh, first uh, year, that there is this method, so we would prefer having more such people than spending five and a half years there. Yes. So what I'm trying to say, that most of these things what people talk about spiritual healing, it is more of a big fast. It is time to make fast buck, fast money. Vegeta but, 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 but there's Almighty God, mashallah. There, there are verses of the Quran which can get peace for you in your mind, which can treat you. There are certain diseases which science cannot understand beyond science understanding. There may be, but what, what we see today, mostly in, in the spiritual healing sessions, in vast gathering, according to me, it is nothing but a gimmick. And all these people who heal, I would like to invite you, brother. Let's tomorrow go to Sign Hospital together. Fine. And you heal the people. Better have you than have 50, 50 doctors. Healing. Generally, what we say is a healing. Healing is not for the curing the disease, what occurred in the body. But if you treat your mind and soul body, you will never get the disease throughout the life. So preventive care. What we do day-to-day -day prayer and namaz and whatever we do it properly, you'll never get a health problem. And if you understand the science behind it, it is a science of God power and how to use God power in our day-to-day -day life, what is relation of God power with human body. So if you understand that science totally, which is 99% of human health, medical science has not understood the mind and soul science because it's a Western science, it is a science of body only. And it is a one percent of total knowledge. Ninety-nine percent knowledge which is mind and soul knowledge, which is a secret knowledge lost from India. And today, what I am as a science student, I give up my religion, Jainism, to going to temple and other things for twenty years after learning this science. And when I came to know in ninety-two about the spiritual healing, about Reiki and Pranic healing, which has came from the foreign, these foreign people are teaching our own science in India 
the science which was there in 5,000 years in India, Vedic science, Jainism, Muslim, whatever, that is lost because Western science has taken over the charge of our human body and human health. And this science was discovered to kill virus and bacteria only. It is, a, question, it is a chemical poison. Brother, this is a question answer time, not a speech time. So we have got your question. You are saying that if you know this spiritual healing, you will never get the disease of the body. I disagree with you. Yes, if you do practice, there may be on certain occasions where there are less chances that you may acquire diseases. But if you say that you will never get diseases, I disagree with you. If at all you get I it. disagree with you. What if you realize that I do know that there are certain, for example, you spoke about namaz. I can give a talk on the scientific benefits of salah. I can give a talk of one hour on the scientific benefits of salah. For example, the best part of salah is the sujood. Now when you do sujood, you put the highest part of your body, the forehead, on the lowest part of the ground. And when we do that, what we find that there is more supply of the blood going to the brain. That makes a healthy brain. There are less chances of having chill veins. That is the disease of the skin of the face. When you are doing sujood, there is, there is drainage of the bronchial tree. So less chances of having bronchiectasis. Now when we breathe normally, when we breathe normally, one third of the air in the lung remains. It's called as residual air. When you breathe in the sujood, the abdominal viscera, they press against the diaphragm. And the diaphragm, it exhales out the residual air. So you breathe in more fresh air. So because you breathe in more fresh air, there's less residual air, the chances your, hung, your lung will be healthy is far superior. Less chances of having lung diseases. Furthermore, there's more increased venous return of the abdominal viscera. There's less chances of having piles. When you get up from the position of Sijda, when you stand up, there is more stress on the calf muscles. And the calf muscles, according to medical science, they are known as peripheral heart. It pumps the blood to the lower part of the body. I can go on and on giving references. How does Salah benefit? But, but, we Muslims, we don't pray Salah for all these benefits. We pray because we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These medical benefits are side dishes, desert. Our main dish, biryani, is because we thank Allah and we worship Him. These medical benefits may inspire a non-Muslim. He may come closer to Islam. It will keep you healthy. But mainly, it is to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because we worship Him. It is not because we want to exercise. These are extra benefits, side dishes. But even I have read about other religious, about Vedic and all. Some, I do agree do have some benefits, but to say that if you do this, you will never get any disease, I disagree with it. And it's not, it has not been proven by science at all. And as for the non-Muslims, if they would like to ask any questions, even outside the topic, if he or she is a non-Muslim, you are most welcome to ask questions even outside the topic. Hope that answers the question. Thank you. Uh, brother? Brother, may I conclude on that, brother? Health internationally has been defined as a condition of physical, mental and social, including spiritual well-being and not merely the absence of disease. I hope that discussion, what was done, is taken in that context. Maybe we have the next question from the brother in the rear. 
salam alaikum sir my my name is sk ranjanani ranjanani deputy engineer government of maharashtra water supply department main non islamic ho mere questions are why the religions are created in the world why the number of religions in the world इसमें एक सेंटेंस लिखा है पीस टीवी के नीचे पीस द सोल्यूशन फॉर ह्यूमैनिटी मेरा इसमें राय है कि पीस के लिए नॉलेज और भिजडम चाहिए थैंक्स सर द ट्रांसलेशन ऑफ द क्वेश्चन एंड देन द आंसर प्लीज क्वेश्चन that why are there so many religions is the first question and after that he made a comment that peace the solution for humanity the tagline of peace tv for peace you require knowledge and wisdom and they do agree with you as far as the first part of his question is concerned that why are there so many religions if you if you realize that almighty god our creator allah subhanahu wa taala has sent only one religion Allah says in the Quran in Surah Al-Imran chapter number 3 verse number 19 in the dina in the lail islam the only religion the only way of life acceptable is submitting over to god so almighty god only sent on one religion and all the messengers that came right from adam abraham moses jesus muhammad peace be upon them all all of them taught nothing but submitting your will to almighty god now in arabic when a person submits his will to almighty god he is called as a muslim and the religion of islam comes from the root word salam which means peace it's also derived from the arabic word silm which means to submit your will to almighty god so islam in short means peace acquired by submitting your will to almighty god so almighty god our creator got only one religion but by the passage of time the scriptures kept on getting changed there was interpolation there was fabrication and whenever the scriptures kept on changing as allah says in the quran in surah baqarah chapter number 2 verse number 79 fa wailul lil ladina yaktubuna kitaba bi aydihim thumma yaquluna hadha min indillah liyashtaru bihi samanan qalila fa wailul lahum mimma katabat aydihim wa wailul lahum mimma yaksibun wo to those who write the book with their own hands and then say this is from allah to traffic with it for a miserable price wo to those for what they write wo to those for what they earn now whenever almighty god sent a revelation sent a instruction manual in the passage of time the instruction manual the revelation of almighty god changed now when the message got corrupted almighty god sent a new messenger and a new message this kept on happening until almighty god sent the last and final messenger prophet muhammad peace be upon him and last and final message that is the glorious quran all the messenger that came previously our beloved prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that almighty god sent 124000 messengers on the face of the earth by name only 25 are mentioned in the quran the others we don't know maybe someone asked me that can you consider you coming from a hindu background if you ask me can you consider ram is a messenger of god 
or can you consider Shri Krishna to be the messenger of God? I say, since his name is not mentioned in the Quran or the Hadith, I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he was not. I cannot say for sure. But the point to be noted, all the messengers that came before Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, they were only sent for those people at that time. So even if Ram was a messenger of God, even if Krishna was a messenger of God, he was sent for those people at that time. Today, all the human beings, irrespective whether they live in India, or in America, or Saudi Arabia, or Canada, or UK, any part of the world, they should follow the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and last and final message, that's the glorious Quran. And Allah has taken a promise in Surah Hijr, chapter number 15, verse number 9, that we have revealed the Quran, and we shall guard it from corruption. So Almighty God sent only one religion, that is submitting your will to God. Islam means peace acquired by submitting a will to God. And you said peace can be acquired by knowledge and wisdom. Yes, knowledge from whom? The best knowledge is who? Is Almighty God our creator. Who is the most wise? Al-Hakim. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Almighty God. So the best peace can be given to you is by following the knowledge and guidance of our creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hope that answers the question. Yes, sister. Good evening, sir. My name is Manjul Singh. I would like to ask you one question. Uh, first of all, that uh, I would like to tell you something. I have seen your videos uh, that is Hinduism similarities with Islam. So uh, uh, I would like that. I would like to ask you that. What is the difference if any non-Muslim will read with understand of Vedas, or he or she should read? Uh, with understanding of Al-Quran. So it is necessary that uh, all the non-Muslims should go with through that Al-Quran. This is asked a very good question. That what is the importance of reading the Veda with understanding? Like how I gave a talk on Al-Quran, should it be with understanding? And the sister has seen my video cassette, the DVD, on similarities between Islam and Hinduism. And sister, towards the end of my talk, I told and I requested the government of India. I said that you should teach Sanskrit as a language. Unfortunately, Sanskrit has become a dead language. Only a handful of people know. I requested the government of India that teach Sanskrit so that the Hindus read the Veda. And when they read the Veda, they will come closer to Almighty God. When you read the Hindu scriptures, the Hindu scripture says, if you read the Upanishad, it's mentioned in Chandogya Upanishad, chapter number 6, section number 2, verse number 1, Ikkam Evidityam, God is only one without a second. It's mentioned in Sveta Sita Upanishad, chapter number 6, verse number 9, Nachesya Kasij Janitana Chadipa, of that God, He has got no superior, He has got no parents. Almighty God has got no father, He has got no mother. It's mentioned in Sveta Sita Upanishad, chapter number 4, verse number 19, Pratimasti, of that God, there is no Pratima. Pratima in Sanskrit means image, photograph, picture, painting, sculpture, idol. According to Svetasitar Upanishad, chapter number 4, verse number 19 says, Na Pratima Asti, of that God there is no image, there is no picture, there is no painting, there is no portrait, there is no sculpture, there is no statue, there is no idol. Same thing, Yajurved, chapter number 32, verse number 3, Na Pratima Asti, of that God there is no image. So I'm asking you, sister, that if you read your Hindu scripture with understanding, 
not only chanting the verses, inshallah, you will come closer to God. And inshallah, you will submit your will to God. And if you read the Hindu scriptures, it's mentioned in the Hindu scriptures. I can give hundreds of references. It talks about the coming of the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. If you read the Bhavishya Purana, Parva 3, Khanda 3, Adhaita 3, Shlokas 5 to 8, it speaks about Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's mentioned in Bhavishya Purana, Parva 3, Khanda 3, Adhaita 3, Shlokas 10 to 27, about the coming of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's mentioned in Atharva Ved, Atharva Ved in Kuntap Sukta, in book number 20, hymn number 127, verse number 1 to 14. He's prophesied in Yajur Ved, chapter number 21, verse number 6. And I can give references, only references I can keep on giving, in which is mentioned about Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He is mentioned as Ahmad. Ahmad means one who praises. And he is mentioned several places. If you read the uh, Uttarchik, mantra number 1500, it speaks about Ahmad, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. If you read the uh, Indra, Chapter number 2, verse number 52, it speaks about Ahmad. If you read Yajur Ved, chapter number 8, verse number 14, it speaks about Ahmad. He is also prophesied as Narashansa. Nar means man, Shansa means praiseworthy. Narashansa means a person who is praiseworthy. If you translate in Arabic, it is Muhammad. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is mentioned by name as Narashansa in several places, in Rigved, book number 1, hymn number 13, verse number 9, in Rigved, book number 1, hymn number 8, verse number 2, in Rigved, book number 2, hymn number 2, verse number 5, in Rigved, book number 7, hymn number 5, verse number 2, in Yajurved, chapter number 20, verse number 37, Yajurved, chapter number 20, verse number 51, Yajurved, chapter number 21, verse number 36, Yajurved, chapter number 48, verse number 29. I can go on quoting only references from the Hindu scriptures about the coming of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So sister, if you read, if you understand Sanskrit, and if you read the Sanskrit scriptures, if you read the scriptures, you understand that you should submit your will only to God, he has got no image, he has got no portrait, and you have to follow the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Hope that answers the question, sister. Thank you. Next question from any brother, if a non-Muslim brother is here, will allow or the next mic there, someone... Any non-Muslim brother here? We'll allow on the next mic. Yes, brother. I'm asking on the behalf of non-Muslim brother. Okay, we'll allow that. So he's like an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And what he says that we don't believe in Quran and you should not believe in God. Why in this 21st century you're believing in Almighty God? This in modern era, the science technology is that much higher. Then why should you believe in God? You should not believe in God. You should do what is better for human beings. The brother asked the question on behalf of his friend who is an atheist, that why believe in God in this age of science and technology, you know, be a good human being. Brother, the first thing I'll do is I'll congratulate your friend. Why? Because most of the human beings, unfortunately, they are doing blind belief. He's a Hindu, because father is a Hindu. He's a Christian, because father is a Christian. Some people are Muslim, because their father is a Muslim. This friend of yours, atheist, is thinking. He may be coming from a religious background, but he may not agree that the God which his parents worship, they are worth being called as God. So the reason I congratulate him is because he has said the first part of the Islamic Shahada, La ilaha, there is no God. The only thing I have to do is prove to him, Lillallah, but Allah, which I shall do, inshallah. 
So this person, half my job is done. To the other non-Muslim first, I have to prove to him the God is worshipping his false God. And then prove to him about to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This non-Muslim is an atheist, half my job is done. He's already said the first part of the Islamic shahada, la ilaha, there's no God. The only thing I have to do is illallah, but Allah which I shall do. Now since you said your, your friend believes in science and technology and the world is advancing, I will ask the atheist a question that suppose an equipment is brought in front of him, him who no one in the world has ever seen and if the question is asked to your friend that who will be the first person who will be able to tell you the mechanism of this equipment who no one in the world has seen who is the first person and the reply he will give he may say that the manufacturer or he may say the inventor or he may say the creator or he may say the maker. Whatever he says, it will be somewhat similar. Either creator, maker, manufacturer, inventor, whatever it is, it will be similar. And the second person is, whoever the creator, inventor, manufacturer has told, he'll be the second person. But the first person would be the creator, the manufacturer, the inventor. Keep this answer at the back of your mind. And ask him the next question. That how did our universe come into existence? So he will tell you that you know, today science advanced and we have come to know that our universe was once a primary nebula. Then there was a big bang. There was a secondary separation which gave rise to galaxies, the stars, the sun, the moon and the earth on which we live. When did you come to know this? So he will tell you, it was in 1973 when a group of scientists, they described the big bang and the creation of the universe. So you tell him what you came to know hardly about 35-36 years back is already mentioned in the Quran 1400 years ago in Surah Ambiya, chapter number 21 verse number 31 says Do not the unbelievers see that the heaven and the earth were joined together and we closed them asunder Who could have mentioned this in the Quran 1400 years ago? So the atheist may say maybe it was a fluke Don't argue, continue Ask him the next question what is the shape of the earth? So he will tell you, previously, the human being thought that the earth on which we live is flat. It was in 1579, when Sir Francis Gold, when he sailed around the earth, he proved, when, when Sir Francis Drake, when he sailed around the earth, he proved that the earth is spherical. Now, you came to know in 1579, hardly, hardly 400 years back, Quran mentioned 1400 years ago. It's mentioned in the Quran in Surah Naziyat, chapter number 79, verse number 30. And thereafter, we have made the earth X shape. Dahaha, one of its meanings is an expanse, and the earth has an expanse. The other meaning is derived from the Arabic word duya, which means an egg. And it does not refer to a normal egg. And we know today that the world is not completely round like a ball, it is starting from the pole. It is geospherical in shape. And the Arabic word dahaha doesn't refer to a normal leg. It specifically refers to the egg of an ostrich. And if you analyze the shape of an egg of an ostrich, that too is geospherical in shape. Imagine, the Quran speaks about the geospherical shape of the earth 1400 years ago. You ask a friend, who could have mentioned this in the Quran? He will say, oh maybe your prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he was an intelligent man. Don't argue, continue. You ask him, the light of the moon. Is it its own light or reflected light? So he will tell you that previously we human beings thought 
but the light of the moon is its own light. Recently in science, 100 years back, 200 years back, 300 years back, we came to know that the light of the moon is not its own light. Recently, is mentioned in the Quran 1400 years ago, in Surah Furqan, chapter number 25, verse number 61. The Quran says, the light of the sun is its own light, and the light of the moon is described as munir or nur, meaning borrowed light or reflection of light. So who could have mentioned that the light of the moon is not its own light but reflected light 14 years ago? He may give a pause and say, okay, maybe your prophet was very, very intelligent. Don't argue. Continue. I learned in school that the sun, though it revolved, though it revolved in the solar system, in the galaxy, it did not rotate about its own axis. Is that what is mentioned in the Quran? No, no, that is what I learned in school. We were in 1982. 1982? 27 years back, I had learned that the sun was stationary. But Quran says in Surah Ambiya, chapter number 21, verse number 33, It is Allah who has created the night and the day, the sun and the moon, each one traveling in orbit with its own motion. That is because yes, bahoon means it's, it describes the motion of a moving body. So Quran says the sun and the moon, besides revolving, it even rotates about its own axis. And today science has come to know that the sun takes approximately 25 days to complete one rotation. Who could have mentioned this in the Quran 1400 years back, which we came to recently, hardly 20 years back, 30 years back? Give you a pause. Don't wait for the answer. We can continue. Quran speaks about that the sky, Almighty God, has made a protected ceiling. Without it, life cannot exist on the face of the earth. In Surah Ambiya, chapter number 21, verse number 32. Quran speaks about water cycle in several places in the Quran. In Surah Az-Zumur, chapter 39, verse number 21. In Surah Rum, chapter number 30, verse 24. In Surah Hijar, chapter 15, verse 22. In Surah Mu'minun, chapter 23, verse number 18. In Surah Nur, chapter 24, verse number 40. In Surah Arab chapter number 7 verse 57. Several places the Quran speaks about the water cycle in great detail. Who would have mentioned this 14 years back? He'll give a pause. Don't argue. Keep on continuing. Quran speaks about biology. That we have created every living thing from water. Quran speaks about botany. That we have created every plant in pairs, two and two, in sexes, male or female. In Surah Taha. Chapter number 20, verse number 53. Quran speaks about that the animals have been created from water. Surah Nur, chapter 24, verse number 54. Quran speaks about that human beings have been created from water. Surah Furqan, chapter 25, verse number 45. The Quran speaks about genetics, that it is the male fluid which is responsible for determining the sex of the child. In Surah Najam, chapter number 54. In Surah Najam, chapter 53, verse number 48-49. And Surah Qiyamah, Chapter number 75, verse number 37 to 39. The Quran speaks about embryology. The Quran speaks about geology. The Quran speaks about oceanology. We can give a talk for us together. After every scientific sign mentioned in the Quran, ask your friend, who could have mentioned this in the Quran 14 years back? The only reply I can give you is the creator, the manufacturer, the maker, the inventor, this creator, this manufacturer, this inventor. We Muslims call it Allah. We call him God. So today, science is not eliminating God, it is eliminating models of God. La ilaha illallah. 
That's the reason a famous philosopher by the name of Francis Bacon said, little knowledge of science makes you an atheist. But in-depth knowledge of science brings you closer to Almighty God. So you can ask your friend to see my video cassette, Is the Quran God's Word? And Quran, Modern Science, in which there are various of the proofs talking about the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hope that answers the question. We would request non-Muslim brothers and sisters, if you are curious why this book, Al-Quran, it should be read compared to so many other readings you may have which may be more engrossing, more interesting, more thrilling for you. Feel free. This is your opportunity to ask. We have Dr. Zakir Naik on this side and this is your session. I am here to help you clarify and help you get a proper answer. Inshallah. Uh, maybe you have the next question from the sister's side. Assalamu alaikum brother. Uh, any non-Muslim uh, sister? This question is on behalf of a non-Muslim friend named Dipti. Okay. Uh, she's working oh. in a call center. Okay. Oh, excuse me. If any non-Muslim uh, brother or sister is here who has some reservations on coming in front on the mic, uh, we would allow them to put a question through your friend. Or if you, there are question slips available in the aisles with our volunteers, Feel free to write your questions. I would request the volunteers to kindly have slips presented and shown in your hand so they can get the slips from you. Put your question on the slip, have it sent down to me on the stage and inshallah the more interesting one from them, we would put it forward to Dr. Zakir. But it's more preferable you ask on the mic so that it's not that I am playing around with the slip or juggling with them and putting the more easy question in front. Yes, sister. Uh, the question is, is it compulsory for me to accept Islam to read the Quran? Can I read the Quran without accepting Islam? This is a good question. That is it compulsory for me to accept Islam to read the Quran? Or can I read the Quran without accepting Islam? As I mentioned in my talk, that the Quran was revealed as a guidance to the whole of humanity. It's not necessary that you have to be a Muslim to read the Quran. But inshallah, if you read the Quran with an open mind, an unbiased mind, and an open heart, inshallah, inshallah, after reading the Quran, inshallah, she'll accept Islam. That's the reason Yusuf Islam, in an interview, he said that it is good that I read the Quran before meeting the Muslims. He read the Quran and he accepted Islam. If you have met the Muslim before in the Quran, maybe you wouldn't have accepted Islam. So the Quran is the best example. It is for the whole of humanity. And your friend can very well read the translation of the Quran in the language she understands the best. And if she has any query, she is most welcome to ask on the email or to our foundation at www.irf.net. Hope that answers the question. Thank you. Uh, may I clarify for those who didn't know, Brother Yusuf Islam, is the same person, Cat Stevens, the very famous, one of the leading pop singers, British pop singers. Yes, brother, anyone here? Any Muslim, any brother there? On the second mic? Any sister has any question on behalf of any non-Muslim? If there are no questions on the slips, or on any of the mics? This is a question from a student, Aparna, She's in the audience today and she would like to know why is Friday given more importance?
this is also the question that why is Friday given more importance? And the Lord Prophet said it is like a weekly Eid. Like a weekly Eid. Like how the Christians they have Sunday, the Jews had Saturday. So for the Muslims to be different, that's the reason the Prophet chose Friday. And there are various hadith which mentions the benefit even of Friday. The Sahih hadith mentioning that the Noah's Ark came and it got the land when there was a flood on a Friday and various benefits but in the Islamic context it is the weekly important day in which we have the congregation of Salah and the congregation of Salah it is more important normally we pay five times a day but once a week we, we offer the Jummah Salah which is a bigger gathering it's like a weekly Eid and it's compulsory that we should pray in that gathering so that, and in that Juma Salah, like we had today in the afternoon, the Imam gives a Qadwa, he gives a speech and gives guidance to the weekly guidance to the Muslims. What is, what is the requirement? He may talk about the local affairs, he may talk about things which are important and convey the message. So Friday basically is a weekly Eid or a weekly main day of the Muslims. Hope that's the question. Thank you. Good evening, sir. My name is Rohit Rana, sir. Basically, I'm Hindu, and uh, I just recently converted to Islam. And uh, not only because uh, I'm in love with Muslim girl, not only because of that uh, problems and all those things, because I accept Islam from my bottom of heart. And uh, I tell you frankly, I don't know about Arabic, I don't know about Urdu from the very initially. And I don't know about the Sanskrit also, because I am from the Hindu background. Now I want to learn about Islam, not only because I am going to be married a Muslim girl. And why the controversies are there so much in the nature that people are creating. Not God is creating that controversy. And not God is not giving the message to people that do all those. If a non-Muslim marry a Hindu Muslim girl, and if a non-Muslim Hindu marry a Muslim girl. So why the controversies are there? And if I accept Islam, then there is no problem in their family also. So why there, there must be a lot of uh, controversies? So please explain me. Let ask the question that Alhamdulillah accepted Islam recently and you are in love with a Muslim girl but that was not the main reason you accepted Islam at the bottom of the heart. He says he doesn't understand Arabic, he doesn't know Sanskrit. Whether it's not compulsory that you should know Arabic to go to Jannah. It's not compulsory. But no? uh, at present I am translating English Arabic. Brother, as I said, it's not compulsory for a person to know Arabic as a language to go to Jannah. I said if you know Arabic, you can understand the Quran the best. If you don't know Arabic, read the Quran in the language you understand the best. If you know English, read the English translation of the Quran. If you know Hindi, read the Hindi translation of the Quran. What you'll have to do is minimum what is required for your Salah. Salah is one of the important pillars of Islam. What is required for Salah, that much at least you should memorize. Because when you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your Salah, you have to say in the original word. If you translate, the translation may be wrong. So besides this, knowing is not compulsory, but read the translation of the Quran in the language you understand the best. As far as the main question is concerned, that why this controversy, you have accepted Islam, 
So what the controversy? As far as the Muslims are concerned, there is no controversy. No, I am not telling about the Muslim controversy. I am telling about the Hindu Hindu controversy. controversy. Why? Why I am saying? Because the Quran says in Surah Baqarah, chapter number 2, verse number 221, it says that do not marry an idol worshipper until he believes. A believing man, even if he is a bondsman, even if he is a slave, he is far better than an idol worshipper, even if he allows you. And the same is vice versa for the girl and for the boy. The reason is that when if you have a vehicle and one tire is of the bicycle and the other of the truck, how will the vehicle run? But naturally all the tires should be similar and but naturally any good pious girl would want that the husband also goes to Jannah, go to paradise. So if she has found the way to paradise, that's acquire peace by submitting our will to Almighty God, that's what she may have requested you and that's what you expected. That's the reason you accepted Islam. As far as the Hindus are concerned, you have to show them my video cassette. Similarities between Islam and Hinduism. What I tell them, you know, people talk about interfaith. I tell them, at least agree, I tell the non-Muslims. You know, I don't believe in interfaith dialogue that Islam is the same religion as Hinduism, as Christianity, all are same. I don't agree with that. Okay. I being a student of compared religion, I know the differences. What I tell them, at least agree that one book is 100% the word of God. So the Christian will say, I don't mind agreeing that Bible is 100% the word of God. The Hindu will say, I don't mind believing Veda to be the word of God. The Muslim will say, I don't mind agreeing that Quran is the word of God. So I tell them that whatever is common, in all these scriptures, let us agree to follow 100%. What is different, what is contradicting, we can discuss tomorrow. At least what is common, let us agree to follow 100%. And when we read these scriptures, all these scriptures say that there is only one God. All these scriptures say, Almighty God has got no images. He has got no idol. He has got no statue. So let us, all of us, agree to believe and worship one God who has got no image, who has got no idol. All these scriptures, whether the Vedas, whether the Bible, whether the Quran, they say that the last and promise peace be upon him. Even if you read the Bible, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said, it's mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter number 14, verse number 12 to 14, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said, I have many things to say unto ye, but ye cannot bear them now, for he when the spirit of truth shall come, he shall guide you unto all truth. He shall not speak of himself, all that ear shall he speak. He shall show you things to come. Now here, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, is telling that I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot grasp my message. He, when the spirit of truth shall come, he shall guide you unto all truth. Talking about Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So all the scriptures, the scriptures of all the major world religions, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all of them say there is one God, you have to worship him alone, and the last and final messenger is Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So if all the religious people read the scriptures, inshallah, this conflict would be solved and all of them would acquire peace by submitting their will to Almighty God. Hope that answers the question. Inshallah, sir. Yes, any question, any non-Muslim brother on the mic? No. no? Okay, we'll allow on the, uh, any sister? Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Yes. Uh, this, is on behalf, this is on behalf of our non-Muslim sister. Her question is, 
there are certain verses in the glorious Quran which so, sorry there are certain verses in the in the scriptures the Hindu scriptures which speak of monotheism whereas there are some which speak of the opposite so her question her question is to quote, to quote those verses which are contradicting to monotheism. This was asked a very good question that there are verses in the Hindu scriptures which speak about monotheism which I quoted but there are verses which speak exactly the opposite about many gods. So why don't I quote that? As I mentioned that the most highest in authority amongst all the Hindu scriptures it is the Ved and the Ved basically speaks about monotheism there are other scriptures other scriptures which are lower down in authority which do speak about pantheism which do speak about polytheism but as a logic we are, if there is a contradiction we follow the higher thing and what I mentioned in my formula I said what is differing we'll discuss tomorrow. So even if there is a verse of polytheism, there's no verse of polytheism in the Quran. So that goes out. We are talking about that which is common. And logically, how can Almighty God contradict? How can Almighty God say in one place there's one God, other place there are many gods? That means there's a contradiction, and if there's a contradiction, it cannot be the word of God. So then it is a Hindu to decide that how can they follow a scripture which has got contradiction? Quran says in Surah Nisa chapter 4 verse 82 Afala yatatabbarun al-Quran Walau kana minindi garilla Lavajadu fiqtilaf and kafira Do they not consider the Quran with care? Had it been from anyone besides Allah? Had it been from anyone besides Allah? There have been many contradictions There have been many mistakes So how can a word of God have contradiction? If there are contradictions We have to reject that scripture it's easy. And if you follow my formula, I'm taking only that which is common. I can give a longer speech talking about differences in Islam and Hinduism. But I have not come here to bring the differences. I am come here to get the similarities. Because Almighty God says in the Quran how to speak with other people. In Surah Al-Imran, chapter 3, verse 64, we say, Come to common terms as between us and you. Which is the first term? Allah na illallah. That we worship none but Allah. Wala That we associate no partners with Him. That we erect not among ourselves lords and patrons other than Allah. If then they turn back. Say bear witness. Muslimun. That we are Muslims bowing over to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a formula shown in the Quran how to speak with different types of people. That come to common terms. Differences we can discuss tomorrow. Today we come to common terms and let us agree to follow what is common. So I am picking up those verses which are matching with the Quran. If there is a contradiction, I reject that scripture. I don't consider it to be the word of God. But because the Hindus consider it to be the word of God, I am quoting from the scriptures. Hope that answers the question, sister. Yes, brother. Good evening, Mr. Jackie Nai. Uh, my name is uh, Gulab Chand Vishkarma and I have a question. Uh, Bakrid is very Karib, very near this time and the Muslim fans believe that uh, on the occasion of Bakrid, 
they uh, sacrifices the goats the fellows and cows and all that and according to the islam uh, insaniyat and humanity is very important and every has should uh, be pity and kind on animals and uh, human being and all that then if they believe in this then why they give the sacrifice of goats cows and buffaloes on the occasion of bakri whether they should do it whether it is in favor of humanity or uh, humanity or insaniyat brother that's a very good question that why are we sacrificing goat on bakri if it's not a bakri can we sacrifice no, goat no no i uh, any animal any so animal. can we sacrifice goat if there's no bakri they they sacrifices they kills and i'm asking you the question that means if no bakri if we sacrifice animal it is allowed no generally why do yeah, you yeah. other question why do you have non veg correct no no i'm not getting what you are saying your main question is why do you have non veg why do you have meat actually i want to say on the occasion of bakreed other occasion as well oh okay Haan, i'll answer both on the occasion of bakreed allah says in the quran in surah hajj chapter number 22 that the blood and the meat does not go to allah it is your piety which goes to allah so unlike other religions in other religion when they sacrifice they sacrifice the goat and keep it in the altar in the name of deity and who eats god almighty eats in islam when we sacrifice what do we do one third compulsory minimum we have to give to the poor people one third we have to give to the friends one third you can keep for yourself so maximum you can keep is one third for yourself if you want to give full in charity also you can give so when we are sacrificing what are we doing we are benefiting the human kind we are giving them food to eat now giving food to eat is good or bad brother giving food to the poor people to eat is it good or bad good in humanity is it good so therefore islam is a religion of humanity now you may ask the question what about killing animals is good for humanity but what about animals in short a muslim can be a very good muslim even by being a pure vegetarian it's not compulsory in islam that you should have non veg but since almighty god has given us permission to have non veg why should we not have non veg allah says in the quran in surah maida chapter number 5 verse number 1 eat of the four footed animal which has been which has been made lawful for you allah says in surah nahl chapter number 16 verse number 5 that the cattle has been made for you so that you benefit from them and of the meat you can eat the same message repeated in surah mu'minun chapter number 23 verse number 21 that in the cattle is instructive sign from the belly of you, you drink milk and of the meat you eat so since almighty god has given us permission why should we not have it now coming to the logical aspect today science tells us that in non veg food in flesh food is rich in vitamins and it is only food which has got complete protein our human body there are total 23 amino acid required by the human body out of which eight are not synthesized in the body it has to be given from the external diet there is no vegetarian food which gives you all the eight amino acids it is the flesh food the non veg food which gives you all the eight amino acids furthermore if you analyze the set of teeth of the herbivorous animal cow goat sheep they have got flat set of teeth they only have vegetables they can't have flesh if we analyze the set of teeth 
of the carnivorous animal, tiger, leopard, lion, they have got pointed set of teeth. They have got a carnivorous set of teeth. They have canine set of teeth. They only have flesh food. They can't have vegetables. If you go in the mirror, if we go in the mirror, if we go in front of the mirror, and we see a set of teeth, we have got pointed teeth as well as flat teeth. We have got an omnivorous set of teeth. If Almighty God wanted us to have only vegetables, why did He give us the pointed teeth? For what? <laughs> to have the flesh food. Furthermore, the digestive system of the herbivorous animal, cow, goat, sheep, can only digest vegetables. They can't digest flesh food. The digestive system of the carnivorous animal, tiger, leopard, lion, can only digest flesh food. They can't digest vegetables. But the digestive system of the human being has got small intestine and big intestine. We can digest vegetables as well as fresh food. If Almighty God wanted us to have only vegetables, why did He give our digestive system we can digest both? Furthermore, there is a misconception that Hindus should not have non-veg. It's misconception. If you read the Hindu scriptures, it's mentioned in Manusmiti, chapter number 5. Verse number 30, that Almighty God created some animal to eat and some to be eaten. If you eat the animal that have been created to be eaten, you are not doing a sin. It's mentioned in Manusmiti chapter number 5, verse number 31, that Almighty God has created some animal for sacrifice. So if you kill the sacrificial animal, you are not doing a sin. Allah says, it is mentioned in Manusmiti chapter number 5, verse number 40, that killing in sacrifice is not a sin. There are various references in the Hindu scriptures and the Vedas that the sages and sons, they had non-veg, they even had beef. If you read Mahabharat Anushasan Parv, chapter number 88, you know the story of the Pandavas. You know Pandavas? Five brothers, the eldest brother Yudhishthir, he asked Bhishma that what should we give in Yagna, in Puja, so that our ancestors will be satisfied. So Bhishma replies that if you give herbs and shrubs and vegetables, our ancestors will be satisfied for one month. If you give fish, for two months. If you give meat, for three months. If you give hair, rabbit, for four months. If you give goat, for five months. If you give bacon, for six months. If you give birds, for six months. If you give deer, seven months. And the menu continues. If you give buffalo for 11 months, if you give cow, our ancestors will be satisfied for one full month. And if you want your ancestors to be satisfied inexhaustibly, give red meat of goat or a rhinoceros. Who says that? Bhishma to Yudhishthir. The full menu is there. Vegetables, fish, rabbit, goat, everything is there. Buffalo, cow. So even in Hindu scriptures, Eating non-veg is permitted. It is many of the Hindus, because they were being influenced by other philosophies of Ahimsa, they started practicing it. And this people who follow Ahimsa, that non-violence, not killing any living creature, if any human being can lead a life without killing living creatures, I'm for it. You know, previous what they say, killing animal is a big sin. Because the life, killing life is prohibited. Today science has advanced and we have come to know that even the plants have got life.
So by eating vegetables, you're killing life also. But the logic has changed. No, no, we understand that the plants have got life, but the plants can't feel pain. Therefore, killing a plant is a lesser sin as compared to killing an animal. For sake of argument, I agree. Today, science tells us that the human ear can hear frequencies between 20 cycles per second to 20,000 cycles per second. Anything below and above, we can't hear. Today, science tells us that even the plant cries, but the human ear cannot hear. So there was a farmer in USA who had equipment which converted the cry of the plant to the human ear and used to know that that required water. Someone would say, okay, okay, fine, I agree that the plant, plant can feel pain, but you know, killing a plant, it has got two or three senses less. Therefore, killing a plant is a lesser sin as compared to killing animal which has got five senses. For same argument, I agree that plant have got two senses less as compared to... I am asking you a question. That suppose your brother, God forbid, if he is born deaf and dumb, and when he grows up, someone comes and kills him. So will you go and tell the judge, me Lord, give the murderer less punishment because my brother, he was deaf and dumb. Will you say that? You will tell the judge, give him a bigger punishment. My brother was masoom. He could not hear, he could not speak. So in Islam, it does not work like that. Two senses more, two senses less. Allah says in the Quran in Surah Baqarah, chapter 2, verse number 168, eat of the good things we have provided for you. What is good, what is tajab, you can have. And furthermore, I personally have got no problem. If the non-Muslim don't want to have non-veg, I've got no problem. Personally. Only when they tell me it's a sin, or you tell me it's against humanity, I give the reply. Personally, if the non-Muslim continue having vegetarian, good for me. If all the non-Muslims start having non-veg, then the price of mutton and beef will go high. Personally, I've got no problem. The next question from the brother in the ray. Yeah, this is the question for a non-Muslim brother. My name is Sufyan and his name is Ankit. Asalaamu Alaikum. He have, a two he have one question which is divided into two parts. He was about to become a Muslim. He took a step back. He told that as a Hindu, Muslim also have a caste. Like you are divided into Shia, Bori, Sunni, Jamaati, Aladis. And he have a second question that he can go to the grave, Kabrastan, and he can uh, ask from them as they are the mediator between him and Allah. Brother asked the question that one of his Hindu friends was about to accept Islam, he took a step back, thinking that even in Islam there are sects like how they have in Hinduism, in Islam they have got sects, Shia, Sunni, Jamaat-e-Islami, Eliyadis. Brother, you read the Quran, there is no Shia Sunni in the Quran. There is no Shia Sunni, there is no Jamaat-e-Islami, there is no Eliyadis in the Quran. What does the Quran say? Quran says in Surah Al-Imran, chapter number 3, verse number 103, Hold to the rope of Allah strongly and be not divided. The rope of Allah is the glorious Quran. We have to hold to the glorious Quran and the authentic hadith of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and be not divided. And it's clearly mentioned in the Quran, in Surah Anam, chapter number 6, verse number 159, where Allah says, He says the Prophet, that, O Prophet, if anyone makes division, sex in the religion of Islam, 
you have nothing to do with him. Allah will look after his affairs on the day of judgment. So making sex in Islam is haram. It is prohibited. That's the reason when I spoke about the master key. What was our beloved prophet? Was he Shia? Was he Sunni? What was he? Our beloved prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa you are the Muslim. That's the reason when I spoke about the master key of Surah Al-Imran chapter 3 verse 64, he says, Ta'ala vila kalimatin sawaim bayna baynakum, Allah nabuda illallah, wala nushika bi ishayyo, wala yat taqida baaduna baadan arbaban munilla, fantavallahu, fakulu shadu, biyanna muslimun. That says, he bear witness that we are Muslims bowing our will to Allah. So, we Muslim is a person who submits his will to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So tell your friend, in Islam, there is no caste system, there is no sect. We have to be Muslim. Muslim means someone who submits his will to Almighty God. And anyone who submits his will to Almighty God, he is called as a Muslim. And if you have to ask Allah, Allah says in Surah Fatiha, chapter number 1, verse number 5, Iyakana udu iyakana stain. They alone we worship, they alone we ask for help. Allah says in Surah Ghafir, chapter number 40, verse number 60, You ask me and I will answer your prayer. So if you want to ask Allah, ask Allah directly. That is the right way and that is the best way. Hope that answers the question. Yes, sister. Assalamu Maybe I have only one question at a time from each questioner. Assalamu alaikum. This question is from a non-Muslim sister. Her name is Apurva and she is a student. Her question is, why are the Muslims not allowed to sing Vande Mataram? The sister asked the question that, why are Muslims not allowed to say Vande Mataram? Before I give the answer, this is a common question, why are Muslims not allowed to say Vande Mataram, which was even asked in the press conference at the beginning of the, the press conference, beginning of the conference by the press media. Before answering that, I would like to tell you that even the Hindus, even they should not say Vande Mataram. Because if you know the song written by Bankim Chavapadhyaya, Vande Mataram means I bow down to my motherland, Vande Mataram. It occurs thrice in the full song. And as I mentioned earlier, according to the Veda, according to the Veda, it's clearly mentioned in Yajurved, chapter number 32, verse number 3, and Sveta Sveta Upanishad, chapter number 4, verse number 19, Na Tasya Asti. Of that God, there is no pratima, there is no image, there is no photograph, there is no picture, there is no portrait, there is no sculpture, there is no idol. So where is the question of worshipping the land? So any Hindu who has knowledge of his Veda will never agree with Vande Mataram. If he does not know his scripture, he may say it. But if he knows his scripture as well, there are three lines, three stanza. Whenever it says Vande Mataram, I bow down, I worship to my motherland, he is going against his Veda. As far as the Muslims are concerned, there are twelve lines which are against the Quran and the Sai Hadith. Thrice it says that I bow down to my motherland, which is prohibited. In Islam, we only bow to our Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We Muslims, as long as the law of the land, 
does not go against the law of the Creator. We are for the country. We love the country. We want to support the country. We want to upbring the country. If required, for the truth, we are ready to die for the country. But we are not ready to worship the country. Because we worship only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He alone requires to be worshipped. And this land, who is the creator of this land? Allah, Almighty God. So why should we worship the creation? Worship the creator, not the creation. And furthermore, there are stanzas in Mande Mataram talking about divine, giving attributes, talking about Lakshmi, talking about Durga. All these things, they go against the concept of the Quran. That's the reason. And if you go back to history, this became a political issue just, just a couple of years back. You know, it was written in 1860 or 70s by Bankim it was more of a political motive. And today they want to make a political gimmick. Not realizing it is going against their own religion. This song, One Day Mataram, is going against their own religion. So my advice is, not only Muslims, my advice to the Hindus is, that even you don't say One Day Mataram. Yes, brother. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, my name is Leon John, and uh, firstly, I'd like to thank my friend uh, Nurullah for bringing me here and uh, giving me this opportunity to hear some wonderful teachings from you. Now, I've got two questions to ask. First is, what does it take to be a true Muslim? And the second question is, Muslims pray five times a day. Why don't uh, we Catholics and other religions pray five times a day? Is there any explanation for this? Brother asked a question. He asked two questions. First is that, what does it take to be a Muslim? What is the requirement? Yes. And second is, why do Muslims pray five times, Catholics pray less? What is the reason? As far as what does it take to be a Muslim, as I mentioned earlier, Muslim means a person who submits the will to God. So if you submit your will to God and follow the commandments of God, you are a Muslim. The number one thing is that you bear witness that there is no God but Allah, no God but one true Almighty God, and you bear witness that Prophet Muhammad is the servant and the messenger of this God. This is the basic faith. It is a fundamental creed known as Shahada. So once you say this, you enter into the basic fundamental creed. And to be a good Muslim, you should submit your will to Almighty God. So if you follow the commandments given by Almighty God in the Quran and the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in the authentic hadith, then you'll be a good practicing Muslim. As far as the second question is concerned, your second question? Second question is Salah. Salah five times. Salah. Yeah. Why do Muslims pray five times and we Christians, we pray less? The reason is, we Muslims, Salah is a sort of programming towards righteousness. See, normally people, they say pray. Pray is not the right translation of Salah. Pray means to ask for help. In Oxford Dictionary, pray means beseech. In Salah, we don't merely ask for help. 
besides asking for help, we are getting guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other religions, they only ask for help. In Islam, besides asking for help, we are getting guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, if the Imam, after Surah Fatiha, he recites the verse of the Quran, of Surah Maida, chapter number 5, verse number 90. Ya ayyuhaladzina amunu, oh you believe, innam al-khamru al-maisuru, most certainly intoxicants and gambling. Dedication of stones, divination of arrows, Rishsam bin Amili Shaitan. These are Satan handiworks. Abstain from this handiwork that you may prosper. Here we are getting guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our salah that don't have intoxicants, don't gamble, don't do fortune telling, don't do idol worship. These are Satan handiworks. Abstain from it that you may prosper. So besides asking, besides asking for help, besides Asking, we are getting guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I prefer calling salah as programming towards righteousness. Programming towards righteousness. And if we analyze today, the amount of evil we see around us, you know, bad things happening, evil thing, obscenity, cheating, there are high chances that we can get deprogrammed. How a doctor tells you, for a healthy body, three meals a day. So our Creator, Almighty God, knows that we have to be programmed five times a day so that we will be on the straight track. So He's our Creator, He knows that. So if you are a true Christian, even you should offer five times. You know why? Because if you read your scriptures, the book of Exodus, the book of Acts, like how we do ablution, Surah Maida chapter 5, Verse number five, that you have to wash your hands, wash your face, rub the head with water, and wash the feet up to ankle. Similarly is mentioned in the book of Acts. Similarly in the book of Exodus. That Aaron and Moses, they washed their face and hands before they appeared in front of the Lord. Same thing, the basic part of Sijda, the Sujud, if you read Genesis, chapter number 17, verse number three. It says that Abraham fell on his face and prayed to God. In Numbers, chapter number 20, verse number 6, Aaron and Moses, they fell on their face and prayed to God. Joshua, chapter number 5, verse number 14, Joshua fell on his face and prayed to God. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 27, that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he took a few steps forward and fell on his face and prayed to God. Can an acrobat fall on his face and pray to God better than the way we Muslims do. When you do sujood, we put the highest part of the body, the forehead, on the lowest part of the ground and say, Glory be to Allah, the Most High. Glory be to Allah, the Most High, thrice. So all the prophets of the Bible, they prayed the same way as, as we Muslims pray. And Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said in the Gospel of John, chapter number 16, verse number 12 to 14, I have many things to say unto you, but he cannot bear them now. For he, when the spirit of truth shall come, he shall guide you unto all truth. He shall not speak of himself. All that he hears shall he speak by me. Now Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said that wait for the spirit of truth shall come. Wait for the spirit of truth. Talking about Muhammad, peace be upon him. And there are various references of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In, if you read the New Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 18, verse number 18. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 18, verse number 19. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, verse number 12. In the Song of Solomon, chapter number 5, verse number 16. All of these references 
speak about the coming of the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Even in the New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter number 14, verse number 16. Gospel of John, chapter number 15, verse number 26. Gospel of John, chapter number 16, verse number 7. Gospel of John, chapter number 16, verse number 12 to 14. All of these references speak about the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So if you're a true Christian, if Christian means a person who follows the teachings of Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, we Muslims are more Christian than the Christian themselves. If you're a true Christian, you have to follow the teachings of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and do ablution before Salah, you should do sujood, and you should pray five times a day. Hope that answers the question. Thank you, Brother Leon, for your questions. The next question from the brother in the rear. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Sir, I am having a question. This question is being framed by my professor. I am a student of first year computer science and my sir is teaching me physics. His name is Rajiv Bhatt and I am from NG Acharya DK Marathe College, Chembu. He is convinced by all the I mean to say what, what misconceptions regarding Islam was there. He's accepted that it is not a misconception. So he's not only convinced by his last point, that is ruthlessly killing of a goat during Bakrid. So can you just help me tell some of the verses that have been quoted in Bhagavad Gita? If you heard your question correctly, your professor wants to know that can we have non-veg from the Hindu scripture? That's your question? I mean to say the ruthless killing of a goat. The ruthless he killing? He believes that you are killing a goat directly from the, slowly, slowly from the, from the neck. Brother asked the question, why ruthlessly killing? He doesn't, he agrees with killing of the goat, but why ruthless killing is his question. Yeah. Fine. So he's convinced that you can have non-veg, but he's asking why do the Muslims they torture the animal before killing. Yeah. There's one jhatka, fatak, the animal dies. Why is this zabiha yeah. slowly torturing? There was a discussion, a similar discussion going on between a Sikh and a Muslim. And the Sikh read the same question. You Muslim, you are merciless. You are ruthless. You will kill the animal slowly and torture the animal to death. We Sikh, one jhatka, fatak, and the animal dies. So the Muslim replied, no, we Muslims, we are Martka Bacha, we attack from the front, we are Masho. You sick, you all are coward. You are Buzdil, you attack from behind. Anyway, this is not the real reason why we Muslims do Zabiha. This was his wisdom, his Ikma. This is not the real reason why we Muslims do Zabiha. The reason we Muslims do Zabiha, that Islam is slaughtering is, when we do Zabiha, we cut the throat and the vessels of the neck and the windpipe without damaging the spinal cord because if the spinal cord is damaged then there will be cardiac arrest and the nerve going to the heart will be severe and the blood will immediately stagnate now when we cut the throat and the windpipe and the vessels of the neck without damaging the spinal cord the heart is yet pumping and majority of the heart it flows out of the body today science tells us that blood is a very good media of germs and bacteria. So we Muslims, we are hygienic. We want to let the blood flow out of the body. And when, when the blood flows out of the body, even the toxins 
and the germs and the bacteria that contain in the blood flows out of the body, there are less chances of having diseases when we have that meat. Furthermore, when we cut the throat and the and the vessels of the neck, the nerve which is responsible for feeling of the pain going to the brain is also severe. So the animal does not feel pain. The animal kicks and breathes. It is due to the gush of the flow of the blood outside the body. The kicking and breathing is not due to pain. It is due to the muscle contraction and relaxation. So the animal dies a peaceful death. In, in the method of stunning, very often the animal dies a painful death after us. So the Islamic method of slaughtering is far more humane. And furthermore, if you slaughter the animal by the Islamic Zabiyah method, the mutton and the meat remains fresh for a longer time because it does not have blood. Hope that answers the question, brother. Yes, sister. Assalamualaikum. Uh, I'm asking this question on behalf of my friend who is a Hindu. His name is Sachin and is an actor by profession. He would like to know why Muslim women are not allowed in the Kabristan or graveyard and if it is the grave that women are not allowed to visit, then does that include the Darga? Sister has a question that why aren't women allowed to visit the graveyard and there are various different hadith. There are hadith in Sahih Bukhari in which the Prophet said he prevented the women from going, going to the grave. And the reasons may be many because maybe they are very emotional and they may not be able to take the death of a human being. That's one of the reasons. And furthermore, there are other occasions in which the Prophet said that these women are not allowed because of the deeds. Let me restrict it certain women because of the deeds. So this is the reason why women are not permitted into the grave. Though there are scholars, other scholars, who do say that there are, there are different hadiths in which the Prophet did permit certain women to go, depending upon the context. As far as, far as the question concerned that about the grave, the beloved Prophet Muhammad said that a person should visit the grave, it will remind you of your akhirah. That means it reminds you that finally you have to die. But when you go to the grave, you should pray for the person, not to the person or through the person. Hope that answers the question. Thank you. Yes, brother. Your name and profession and your question. Um, my name is Kedar and this is my friend Nazish. My question to you, Mr. Nayak, is that the, the laws that govern the universe uh, have not changed from the time the universe was created. Uh, they were always there since the creation of the universe. So does God have any choice in changing the laws of the universe uh, since time immemorial? Uh, why hasn't uh, God not changed the laws which governs the universe? If, he, he, if the God has no choice in changing the laws of the universe, then why call him God? And uh, the brother asked a good question that the laws of the universe have been same since the time it has been formed. So does God have a choice of changing the laws or not? And if God does not have a choice, then why call him God? I agree with you. It is God's choice that he does not want to change. That's the reason he hasn't changed. He should not follow your choice. So it is God's will 
that he does not want to change. Now you are forcing him to change. Why should he follow you? If God wants to change, he can easily change. But Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Room, chapter number 30, verse number 30, that Allah follows the nature of the law. So this is God's law. If he wants, he can change, but does not want to change. That's his choice. Now you will tell him that, okay, that God, he wants to make the sun rise from the east and set in the west. The challenge is you, the, can you make the sun rise from the west and set in the east? The answer is no. But on the day of Qiyamah, one of the signs of Qiyamah is that the sun will rise from the west. To show that if God wants, he can do it. So on the day of judgment, Qiyamah, that will happen. How will, I, how will it happen? Allah Allah. So everything Quran says that clearly in Surah Fatir, chapter 35, verse number 1, it will say that Allah has power over all things. That He has power over all things. But Allah does things which He wants. And He does godly things. Hope that answers the question. Well. Yes. Any non-Muslim brother there? Assalamu alaikum brother. Uh, I'm asking this question on behalf of my very close friend. He is a non-Muslim. He don't want to disclose his name, but he's he's an engineer by profession. He want to know Quran does not contradict with modern science, but it says Adam salam was the first man on the face of the earth. But this goes against the theory of Charles Darwin regarding evolution. Brother asked the question, he says Quran matches the science but does not agree with the scripture of the Quran that Adam is the first human being. It goes against the theory of Charles Darwin and I agree with you. The Quran does not agree with the theory of Charles Darwin because Charles Darwin is a theory. Quran is a book of facts, not a book of theory. And if you read the book of Charles Darwin, if you read the book of Charles Darwin, The Origin of Species, it says that Charles Darwin went on the ship by the name of HMS Beagle, which went on an island by the name of Calatropis. And he saw birds pecking in holes and niches. Depending upon the niches the bird pecked, the beak became small and long. Based on this observation, he propounded his theory of natural selection. But he wrote a letter to his friend Thomas Thompson saying that I have got no 100% proof regarding my theory, but because it helps me in embryology, in rudimentary organs, etc., he has propounded that. Otherwise, Charles Darwin himself agreed that they were missing links. That's the reason in, in school, if we had to insult someone, we used to say that if you were present during Charles Darwin's time, then his theory would have been proved right. Insinuating he looks like an ape. So this is just a theory, it is not a fact at all. I have not come across a single book which is called as the fact of evolution. All of these are theories of evolution. And furthermore, according to P.P. Grasse, he says, it is letting imagination run too wild just based on few vestiges that we are assuming that we have been evolved from apes. Today, science has found four waves. The Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal man, the first is Australopithecus from the Ice Age, then Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal man. All these, what science has found, there is no link between them. 
and there's no proof that we have been evolved from ape. And according to Hansis Craig, who's an expert in uh, molecular biology, he says it is absurd just on based on DNA to assume that our forefathers were apes. It is just an assumption. There are hundreds of scientists who have written against Darwin's theory. Darwin's theory has been proved false long ago. Now something has come on the internet recently, okay, Darwin's theory. These are just hypotheses. Therefore, but certain things of Darwin, that human, that life has been evolved from water, no problem. Quran says that in Surah Ambiya, chapter number 20, verse number 30. So certain things are correct. But as a whole, that human beings have been derived from ape, it's unscientific, it's a theory, and that's not a fact. Hope that answers the question. Any sister? Brother, this is a question from a non-Muslim audience. Her question states that we see on television many women being tortured in Afghanistan. Why do Muslim men torture or degrade women in Islam? Sister asked the question that we see on the television, you know, in Afghanistan Muslim men are torturing women. So why in Islam, Muslim men torture and degrade the women? Sister, this question was replied just a few days earlier on the second day of the conference, on Saturday. On Saturday, 31st of October, I gave a talk, Women in Islam Protected or Subjugated, and I gave the talk in detail. So ask your friend to watch that tape, watch the DVD. Inshallah, it will answer all the queries. Regarding your main point, that she saw on the television that in Afghanistan Muslim men they are beating the and once when I was traveling I came across a Malaysian couple both of them were doctors they said that they spent more than a month in Afghanistan and they told me that what they saw on television the Taliban's beating the women they aren't Taliban's so I asked them how do you know they told me that we have been in Afghanistan, we have spent more than a month, we know how the Taliban tied the turban. You know, when we see an Arab, we, see, we feel all Arabs the same. Emirati, Saudi, Kuwaiti, but they themselves know that a Saudi ties the Qatra in a different way. An Emirati ties in a different style. Uh, uh, if you go to a Kuwaiti, different style. So similarly, the Taliban, they have a particular style of tying the turban. So what she told, and what he told the couple, that what they shot, even that they didn't do properly. That means they could shoot the parting of the sea in Hollywood. You know, Ten Commandments. Moses, peace be upon him, part the sea. But they made a fault when they shot the, when they show Muslim men in Afghanistan beating the women. So therefore the Quran says in Surah Hujurat, chapter number 49, verse number 6, whenever you get information, you check it up before you pass it on to the third person. What we realize, this is the gimmick of the media. And in the last conference, 2008, my last talk was media and Islam, war of peace. And I showed how the media goes out of the way to malign Islam. I'm not saying all Muslims are 100% good Muslims. There are black sheep in the community. But what the media does, picks up these black sheep and portray as though they're exemplary Muslim. And many a time, they show things which are absolutely nonsense. It does not exist in Islam. So ask your sister, <laughs> ask your friend, to watch my tape, Women's Rights in Islam, Protected or Subjugated, and Media and Islam, War of Peace. Hope that answers the question. Yes, brother. 
My name is Vinod Sayaragat. Uh, I am doing research on the subject of a spiritual science, aura. One Muslim lady I have treated for breast cancer. She was operated for one breast, right side breast, uh, in Tata Hospital. And second time she got breast cancer in the left breast. And when I have taken photograph of that lady, I came to know about the salt that was present, animal salt, what non-mage you are eating. Uh, animal soul you can visualize in the shape of that animal only. So this is an energy and electromagnetic energy of any kind is the root cause of 99% of health problem. Say mobile. How much mobile is danger to kill 100 crore people of India? The mobile itself is a sufficient and people, government doesn't know, medical science doesn't know the science of spiritual science of invisible energy that is electromagnetic energy. Any brother, electricity. Brother, brother. Dr. Zakir is a medical and a science student. What I would suggest, you keep, uh, let, the, let so us keep aside the background, ask your question. Yeah, Rather, eating a non-veg, yeah. uh, it is a, a process which is prescribed, how to cut the animal. So if it is cut in one shot, the soul goes out, energy goes out, and you don't get any health problem from that meat. But if it is not cut properly, and it is cruel way it is cut, the energy remains in that meat and you don't know when you are going to get that type of meat if it is cut in a job body and if it is cut in a factory then it will go, soul goes out, there is no harm in taking that meat but if it is not cut properly then you are going to get cancer, paralysis attack and this is happening what I have observed for 10 years with the photograph now there is each and every topic brother, of the brother, 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 I just request you one thing. Can we have your scientific background? Your brother, and I would request brother, Dr. Zakir to answer. Brother yes. asked a question saying that there was a Muslim woman and he cured breast cancer, then she got in the other left breast and she cured the cancer and then he went on to say that the animal if it's killed immediately the soul goes out, no problem. If animal feels ruthlessly, it remains and there's a problem and cancer comes, in short. Brother, I am requesting you again. Why don't you join the Tata Memorial Hospital of Cancer? I yes. know the doctor is there. Yes, I can tell you. Medi brother. Government has made a law, it Drugs and Magic Remedy Act 1954, brother. which says that so many diseases can not be cured. You cannot claim for the disease and that is 99%. Now, I Brother, I haven't answered your question. The five minutes left, we have to give other people a chance. I'll answer your question. Government is rightly not giving you permission. Yes. Because we don't want to have more problem in the hospital. What you have to do, yes, medical science if you is can only cure cancer, why are you standing here? You will go and get the Nobel Prize. Medical science is 400 years old. You will get the Nobel Prize for science, science if you can cure cancer and cure the diseases just by spiritual thing. Then, then I'll ask the Nobel Committee to give you the Nobel Prize for peace. But, but the committee will never select you. I'll tell you why. I gave such a scientific reason why Muslims slaughter the animal and let the blood flow out. Yet you are saying that the soul remains and the soul goes out. You will have cancer. Brother, your medical knowledge is so weak. I am not so a medical weak. student. Today I'm science tells us that blood I'm is a good medium science. of bacteria and germs and toxin. If we slaughter the Islamic way, the blood goes out and the toxin goes out, there's less chance of having disease. You are saying the opposite. Now, which science you're talking about, I don't know. Yes. I'm a medical doctor. I've got an MBBS degree. And Quran says in Surah Nahal, chapter 16, verse 43, and Surah Ambiya, chapter number 21, verse number 7, First alu ahal zikri in kuntum la If you don't know, ask the person who knows. 
So this is my speciality. You can very well do what you want, the way you want to practice. But I am giving a scientific reason why we do it. And that is the reason the Islamic method is far superior and it is much more hygienic and the meat remains fresh for a longer time. Hope that answers the question. Second question. Uh, the next question from the brother in the rear, please. No non-Muslim here. Can any, any sister? Any non-Muslim question? This is on behalf of a non-Muslim sister. Yes, that would be the last question of the day, please. Her question is, what is the major difference between Prophet Jesus and Prophet Muhammad? If Prophet Jesus teaches people how to live life and worship God, the same thing is taught by Prophet Muhammad. Those who are following Jesus, are they correct or should they follow the follow the instructions of Prophet Muhammad because Prophet Jesus may come again on this earth so he could be the last prophet. This is a very good question. She asked the question, what is the difference between Prophet Jesus and Prophet Muhammad? If both of them taught good things to worship the same God, what is the difference? Who should we follow? And Prophet Jesus is going to come again so he will be the last prophet. As far as the question is concerned that Amongst all the prophets, five prophets are considered, according to the hadith, as great prophets. Prophet Abraham, Prophet Nuh al-Salam, Prophet Moses, Prophet Jesus, and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So we consider Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, as one of the mightiest messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Before I answer the question, I'll tell you one thing, that no Muslim is a Muslim if he does not believe in Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. We believe that he was one of the mightiest messengers of God. We believe that he was called Messiah, translated Christ. We believe that he was born miraculously, without any male intervention, which many modern Christians today do not believe. We believe that he gave life to the dead with God's permission. We believe he healed those born blind and lepers with God's permission. The Christian and the Muslims, they are going together. You may ask, where is the parting of ways? The parting of ways is that many Christians, they say that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, he claimed divinity. In fact, if you read the Bible, there is not a single unequivocal statement in the complete Bible where Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, himself says that I am God or where he says worship me. If any Christian can point out any verse of the Bible, any unequivocal statement, any unambiguous statement from the Bible where Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, himself says that I am God or where he says worship me, I am ready to accept Christianity. In fact, if you read the Bible, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him said, it's mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter number 14, verse number 28, my father is greater than I. Gospel of John, chapter number 10, verse number 29, my father is greater than all. Gospel of John, chapter number 12, verse number 28. I, with the finger of God, cast out devil. Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse number 20. I, with the finger, I, with the spirit of God, cast out devil. Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John, chapter number 5, verse number 30. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. For I seek not my will, but the will of my Father. Anyone who says, I seek not my will, but the will of Almighty God, he's a Muslim. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, was a Muslim. He never claimed divinity. It's clearly mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter number 14, verse number 24. He said that, Amen. Listen to this. I have been sent from Almighty God 
and he has sent me as a messenger. It's mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter number 17, verse number 3. The words that you hear are not mine, but my father's who has sent me. It's mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter number 17, verse number 3. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, says, This is life eternal, so that you may know there is one God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's clearly mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, verse number 21. Ye men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God amongst you, by wonders and miracles and signs, which God did by him, and you have witnessed to it. A man approved of God amongst you, by wonders and miracles and signs, which God did by him, and you have witnessed to it. So Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, was one of the mightiest messengers of God, but he was not God. And if you want to follow him, as I mentioned earlier, in Gospel of John, chapter number 16, verse number 12 to 14, he said, I have many things to say unto you, but he cannot bear them now. For he, when the spirit of truth shall come, he shall guide you unto all truth. That means, if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, besides believing in one God, you also have to follow the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. As far as the last question is concerned, that he will come again. So isn't he the last prophet? It's mentioned in the Quran, in Surah Maida, chapter number 5, verse number 116. That Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he bear witness, I never said, worship me, but I said, Abudullah, worship Allah, Rabbi wa Rabbukum, who is my Lord and your Lord. So he will come in the second coming. Why? He is the only messenger of God whose followers as a whole mistook that he claimed divinity. All the other messengers, none of their followers mistook that they claimed divinity. Isa alayhi salam, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, is the only messenger whose followers had a misunderstanding that he claimed divinity. That's the reason in his second coming, he will come as a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He will not bring any new teaching. He will come to testify to the Christian. He never said, worship me, but, Abdullah, worship Allah, Rabbi wa Rabbakum. So he will come as an ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to clarify the misconception among the Christians. Hope that answers the question. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Jazakallah Dr. Zakir. Inshallah, we'll we, we apologize for those who didn't get a chance. Inshallah, this session will continue tomorrow so much so that we'll have no lecture of Dr. Zakir. Your challenging questions can be asked in an exclusive open question-answer session called Ask Dr. Zakir. Inshallah, it will start with the Kirat by Sheikh Salah Al-Budair, Imam Masjid Al-Nabi, tomorrow, same place, same open ground, 6.20 p.m. Before that, of course, we will have the morning sessions too, as per the program schedule. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi jazakumullah khairan. اصبح بصوتك اسمع الاكوان اقرا كلام الله داوي نفوسنا لنحس في اعمالنا